Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Back. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Um, I'm thinking about editing this episode. Because it's, it's going to take me... Perish that thought, David. It, no, it's going to take me a few milliseconds longer to edit this episode than most. Okay. Because we recorded three and a half minutes of us fucking around before we started the show. Well, we started recording just as just as my wife was about to leave, and I didn't know she was leaving. And so I figured, well, let's let's wait until she ga- gathers her things and, and, and exits. And you can't do the podcast in front of your wife. You're like the singing that's frog. Not, that's not true. If it's just you and me and, and okay. she's sitting right there, it's okay. Wait, you're saying there's someone else here? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. oh. Um, yes. We do have a guest. We do. Uh, because we don't like putting any work into the show. And if we have a guest, usually that means we can just kind of coast. I tell you, this is my favorite time of year for the podcast because we have all these episodes kind of worked out. Like, okay, this is what we're, you know, at, at this point we're like almost six years. And so, like, okay, it's Oscar season, so this this week we do this, this week we talk about the Oscars, this week we do individual, individual achievement. Like, we don't have to come up with any new topics. Like, that's, yeah. that, it's a, it's a wonderful time for me because I, because I'm always, always on the brink of absolute panic <laughs> that, like, we've run out of topics. It's over. Yeah. So, so far so good. Um. Yeah, and we don't, because of when the Oscars fall, we're not doing a profile episode for 310. Yes. Which is good, because I haven't watched any of who our next profile was supposed to be. I don't remember who our next it profile was, my was pick. supposed to be. Uh, uh, hell. It was a woman. Okay. All right. Um, but, uh, you know... Priscilla Presley. That's right. <laughs> Priscilla I'm sorry. Presley. <laughs> That's very funny. Um, it took me by surprise. Uh, look, we have a guest. Um... And uh, it's not who you think it is. I'm sure you probably think that by this point we had to have roped in Bruce from Tweaked Audio to be a guest. And we're still working on it. I'm not sure he knows we exist yet. Oh, wait. Have we not been telling you guys, like, Tweaked Audio has no idea we're talking about them every week. Yeah, I know. We just believe in the product. And then we kind of, we talked to some of our hacker friends, had them set up something on the Tweaked Audio page for us. And uh, it's worked out very well for, for us. And you know what? They get some tweak, get some money too, because they should, because they make a great product. Absolutely, Literally, this is all just a ploy to get Bruce from Tweaked Audio a guest as a guest on the show. Yeah, um, he's kind of our hero. Kind of, come on. <laughs> right, you're right. Usually, I'm <laughs> the one that hems and haws, but I, he's he is my gr- the greatest hero, the greatest American hero. Yeah, that's that's exactly what he is. If you guys are maybe brand new to the show, or maybe just really stupid and you don't know what we're talking about. Uh, TweakedAudio.com is where you go for high-quality earbuds, uh, professional-quality earbuds, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, at a, in a variety of styles and colors at a low, low price. Um, but you notice I said low, low price. Yeah. Here's a little tip for podcast listeners. Yeah, normally, it's ones. just a low price. No, no, no. Normally, it's a low, low price. This is what I'm saying. Okay. Astute listeners, the non-stupids, Got it. listen up. Yeah. If you go to TweakedAudio.com and then you don't give up, a lot of people just give up. They figure I've done enough. Yeah, they're just when like, I type that in. Yeah, you okay. push through. You push through to tweakedaudio.com/pretension. You get those podcasts at a low, low, a low price. Oh, watch out! That's one third off and yeah. free shipping in a variety of styles and colors. Professional quality earbuds. Tweakedaudio.com. We love them. Please pay attention to us. Tweaked. 
I think we're done. Like that's I, I can't look. All due respect to our guests, can you top that? Listen, I'm not here to show. For t- I'm not here to say if you fear duds, then come on over to tweaked audio earbuds. <laughs> I'm Wait, not here. No, a few too many syllables for the rhyme, but that's okay. okay. Also, what does it mean if you like? If you don't well, if you like fear, to wear clothes, if you fear, no, I mean duds like things like, that don't work. Oh. Yeah, like oh, these these buds are duds. I was thinking of like if, duds, yeah, if you like, don't if you don't like you duds, duds. If yeah, well, you could just wear these. Yeah, you, you can't, to, yeah, it, it they're does, good enough as clothes. This, yeah, oh, the, absolutely. The, People on the bus will be like, excuse excuse me, sir, are those tweaked audio? Yeah. Because here's the secret. Professional I mean, quality earbuds? They sound great when you have your clothes on. Right, yeah. You'll, you know, you'll get enough out of them having your clothes on. Yes. We've listened to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension earbuds while nude. Because you fear duds. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you fear a phobia. Yes. Of, uh, of, of being clothed. All right. Anyway, and I tell I, you, they work great in the shower. Yes. Product might not work great in the shower. <laughs> By the way, while you were saying that, I'm not going to say I thought of whether you're on dry lands or near suds. <laughs> Try out. I'm not going to well, say I haven't thought of any more because I haven't. That's very writerly of you, that's, which is fitting yes. because that's what you are and what you do. I make a good impression of a writer <laughs> most of the time. So um, uh, I, I, I'm not sure how, how to introduce our guest. Um, I knew you first through a message board that we both uh uh frequented yes. i still i still frequent there yeah. i still lurk there i almost never post i've always lurked there i've i've been on that thing for like eight years but i've probably posted like 10 times yeah <laughs> all right um so that's where i first knew of you and then you um wrote the first positive review of us only when we were only a few months old yeah I don't know what you were thinking we weren't very good back then but you wrote a very positive i review. wasn't a very good podcast reviewer i <laughs> Still not, but over on the um, the maximum fun. That was maximum fun's blog. Uh, blog. Um, so that was that was fantastic. You wrote pod thoughts. It has since been taken over and by, much by other much friend, improved by friend of the show, Colin Marshall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So who brings his own impeccable speaking style to? Uh, he to makes his it an pros. actual thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it was not a thing. Well, I, I was. I feel bad. Yeah, but you you paved the way. That's the way I. I yeah, see. It, it, but then I found out that uh, not only were you uh, a guy who was on a message board I frequented, and a guy who wrote we should about say. It. I was trying to think of a funny thing for the message boards. <laughs> they were just all awful. <laughs> they would be funny. They would be across the line to like oof. Yeah, um, uh, I, I keep wanting to say, uh, uh, you know. Um, the comedian uh, Seth Morris has a bit about the the Yanni fan club message board. Oh yeah, I haven't it's, thought about Yanni in years. Uh, that's that's where mine keeps going. I haven't thought about Yanni in years. <laughs> that was a thing I said. <laughs> Implication um, being, there's a time when that's all you yes, thought about. But, well, here's uh, I have a tendency to when my dog is sleepy and yawns yeah. to refer to him as Yanni live at the Acropolis. <laughs> okay, um, so I think about Yanni <laughs> all the time. Anyway. Not only are you a guy on a message board I frequent, not only are you a guy who formerly wrote Pod, pod Thoughts, 
But uh, I found out you also write comic books. Not only awesome zombie comic books that you uh, yeah. gave to us at our, our live show. And not only awesome Darkwing Duck that's comic books. That's what I was books. getting to. Oh, I'm sorry. What do you think that, but I was, not only. Oh, I thought he was, but, I, th- I thought you were moving into other things as well. No, but you wrote the Darkwing Duck comic book. Okay, yeah. 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 I Wait. didn't know if that would be as exciting a thing for you as it was for me. Here's the thing. I am not a nostalgic person as I have, as I have established in the show. Mm-hmm. I generally don't like spend a lot of time thinking like how awesome stuff was when I was a kid. Because stuff is better now, generally. But um, I love Darkwing Duck. Oh, yeah. That's something I still have very fond memories of. And, mm-hmm. I, and, I, and I loved your comic. We should say your name. Uh, comic book writer and fan of Yanni, Ian Brill. One of those things is barely true. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the one you might immediately think. I've read his comics. Um, but yeah, um, not only did you write the Darkwing Duck comic, but you, I, th- I think, did you go back and watch episodes? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, there's DVDs out. I'm there's sure, two yeah. DVDs, yeah. I, I just, I, I was, it, even though I hadn't seen the episodes in over a decade, at least, more than that probably, I really felt like I was back there in that sense of humor. Oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah, it really, it really were. They really were great comics. But you also, because um, yeah, I love Darkwing Duck. I remember watching the very first episode and just being like, "This is, it's, it's funny, and it kind of has the, a similar quality to Ducktales, but it really is like a, a, a totally new superhero thing." And, uh, and you know, oh, real quick, a few weeks ago we had Julian McCullough on, and I was talking about how I quote Raising Arizona so much that I don't even realize I'm doing it. It's just part of the things I say. Mm-hmm. With Darkwing Duck, I do the yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah thing yeah, all yeah. the time, and yeah. like I don't, that's the thing I do now. I don't even think of it as being Darkwing Duck. And so, uh, so yeah, I love those. I uh, now let me ask you this, David, and then I'll throw it to you, Ian. Um, do you have a favorite Darkwing Duck villain? Uh, yeah, Negaduck. You like Negaduck? Yes. There's a great kind of. I'm a big fan of. Uh, Dan Harmon's writings about writing mm-hmm. and he, cause he has this big story circle that I've always kind of, uh, depended on, but he makes uh, a point that great villains are shadows of the heroes. In a way, and that's very, I mean, that's very clear in, in Negaduck. I know one of the, th- one of the things you wanted to talk about in the topic today that you mentioned in the email was Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Oh yeah. Oh, the, that uh, also the, happens. The, the yes. Nega Scott. Yes. Which is, uh, I love that he like, Bests Negascout by since just like becoming friends with him and making yes. breakfast plans with yeah. him, and he's like describing the waffles at the one breakfast place, and yeah. Negascout's like, "I'm liking that." <laughs> David, you haven't answered my question. Oh, um, I guess what well, was the first episode about Robo Duck? Hmm. You mean Gizmo Duck? Is that what the what the, uh, that was the guy the guy from Ducktales? The villain's name is what? Oh no no the the Gizmo Duck is no here is no villain he's yeah. he's a big hero isn't yeah. there it, it, see I don't know oh okay you put me on the fucking the spot. first episode well, now sorry, I gotta edit all this out I'm sorry I thought you were now a fan. I gotta cut all this out <laughs> um is there a mechanized villain uh yeah, well you're probably thinking the first episode was like this two parter about a guy named Taurus Bulba yeah who was also sort of spoilers the villain in my first story. Who, when they brought him back, was he was brought back from the dead, mechanized like cyborg? Yeah. He's like I think a cyborg. that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, that's yeah. what you're thinking. That's probably what you're I'm kind of retconning of. things yeah. in, in your mind. Yeah, but that's the thing is like that's my my favorite is a character named Liquidator. Yeah, and cool. um, what I like about this is that like you remember 
Taurus Bulba as the cyborg thing, and and for a num for any like comic book readers of anything, like you know, uh, villains will undergo a change, and then for a whole other for a whole new generation or something, like that's how they remember that sure. villain, even though he or she might have been this other thing. Yeah, and so um, and what I what I do like about because uh, I I think I only read like a couple issues of of uh, Darkwing Duck, and I what I liked about it is that. It still retained that sense of humor. That's a backhanded compliment. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't. I don't read any comic books if that makes you feel any better. Uh, and you, uh, I'm just saying, like you listen to our podcast, it doesn't cost me any money. Um, and so I, I, uh, I real quick, I bought the Darkwing Duck. Uh, oh yeah, first couple of first couple of issues, and I ended up buying the trades from you at Comic Con. Yes, and I got your signature. Yes, which is still my favorite thing because you wrote. Uh, perfect mashup of Darkwing Duck's oh yeah uh, motto and mine. You wrote, "Let's get dangerous, shall we?" Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. See, that's why you're on this show, not because you were the first one to write nice things about us, though that helps. Um, but uh, and I apologize, and I uh, I, I remember yeah, I, I think I wanted to, s- I think I meant to see you at Comic Con. Was it this past Comic Con? Well, I saw you at that uh, at the BP get at the meetup. That, at yeah. the meetup, that's right. Okay, and so. Um, but I just it it does capture that sense of humor, but it also does incorporate a lot of people's sensibilities now as far mm-hmm. as what they want from a superhero movie or comic book or whatever. Yeah, uh, like your your choice to sort of elevate Quacker Jack, who's basically a Joker type character. Yeah. yeah. Um. Now you roll your eyes at that. Why is that? No, no. I I I appreciate you saying that. I was just I I still. I don't know. I'm really proud of, of that. Certainly that annual that got some notice because I did maybe take people say a darker take. I, I don't, it's still, you know, Disney G rated fun. You just kind of have a kind of more psychological yeah. take, I guess on a character. But, uh, I don't know. I still wonder. And if that was, here's the thing, I guess okay. what you're talking about uh, it, it, in, in, in Darkwing. You know, I, 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 I did, in my approach, certainly tailor it to modern taste and sort of the big mm-hmm. going into it because at, I, I was also an editor at the time at Boom Studios, which was a company doing uh, Disney comics at the time. And we were reprinting like a lot of the, like the like the Disney books that were big in like Italy and Spain. And those books have very short stories uh, and millions of people read them, but millions of people read them casually. Mm-hmm. Um, which is they pick up a, a a digest at a kiosk at one subway station, read on the subway, uh, maybe throw it away at the at their at their stop. Uh, here in the United in the North America, uh, thousands of people read comics uh, intensely, as opposed to millions of people reading them casually, mm-hmm. um, which may be the case in Europe and in Japan. So I did. I was like. People are going to read this. Um, I want it to, to have, you know, continuing stories, a little bit of continuing stories, did single kind of stories later on. Um, and then have, you know, I don't know, I mean, no matter what, I, 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 I get into the character stuff because that's why I find it. I get bored if otherwise. Um, and I think and that's the thing is like just. And but you also included like I, I do think there's something to be said for. Like when people said like it's a little bit darker, like this vague, not even vaguely, this dystopian society and this very night Orwellian 
uh, city government. Oh yeah, that you and created, then the like, first story, yeah, the yeah. first storyline. And I just, uh, it's it's very. I found it very fascinating um, that I don't know that that Disney let you do it. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. Just because we never like, got we never got crazy. As long as as long as the as long as uh, nothing's uh, imitatable in okay. terms of the violence, and you know, obviously there are lines, and not that I was in, interested in crossing any lines anyway. Um, you know, that's you're fine. Yeah. Well, you, that's. I mean, uh, I brought that up because I like Darkwing Duck. Apparently, not as much as I thought I did. Because I'm. Yeah, get with the program here, buddy. Yeah. Well, I'm living in the here and now, where things are better. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't revisited Darkwing Duck because it is on DVD, and I know somebody who has the whole series. And I borrowed it once, but I chose not to watch it. It's just like I feel like it might. No, not it, be it, as it holds good. up. No, I'm sure it does. A lot. Okay, I'm, right. I'm just saying things in general are better now than they were in what year was that on? Ninety one, ninety two, uh, maybe a little later than that. But later. yeah, about that. Okay. I think. Yeah, um, but things are better for us. You mean you and me? I'd say for... I think this episode's making worse. I think Americans who are into pop culture have it better now. I agree. But, I, I, yeah, I, I, lots of things are worse for other people. That's a, <laughs> that's a very narrow definition of things being better. But you know what? But things my are TV okay for pop is, culture, so we're all right. My TV is way bigger than the one I had when I was watching Darkwing Duck. And flatter than ever. <laughs> Which is something I always wished for. But, um, yeah, Darkwing Duck is not the only comic you've written. What else What else have you written? Uh, well, I would I would certainly recommend to people to check out Dracula World Order, which is my Sorry, uh, my, my Dracula World Order. I know. Again, I was talking about my horrible California Valley accent, and words like world just uh-huh. get swallowed up in that. <laughs> and, and yet, that's what I named my book. Uh, but that, <laughs> since it's, it's my creation, and... Um, uh, now I have the stupid yeah. weird science oh, yeah. song in my head. <laughs> my, my, uh, my mind immediately went to it. Um, but uh, that I worked with uh, four uh, fantastic artists and, and fantastic colors and, and, and letter. Um, but Dracula World Order right now is a is a one shot uh, available. Um, DraculaWorldOrder.com is where if you want a print copy, uh, contact me and, and uh, we can set that up, set that up. But also, uh, if you go to Comicsology, that's Comicsology with an X, the biggest uh, you know uh, shop for digital comics. Uh, it's it's there. Just type in Dracula World Order, and and that's uh, uh, a book with that. It's four stories that make up a greater story, and you have uh, Tansi Zonic who did a great book called. Uh, who is Jake Ellis, Rasan Ekadel, who's done a lot of great books at Top Cow, Declan Shalvey, who did the 20 Days Later comic and uh, is doing Venom at Marvel, and Gabriel Hardman, who uh, has done a lot of great books, uh, who did Hulk at Marvel and uh, a lot of the Planet Ape, Planet Ape stuff uh, at Boom and is writing a Star Wars book. Um, you can check out their uh, fantastic work and um, my writing which i will not call fantastic okay (laughs) well here's the thing now i recognize of course you work in comic books so you do have an obligation to know all of the things that you just said um but what fast uh, what i'm interested in because i know i know how my life turned out i know how david's life turned out just as i know things are over what was that Fair enough. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Tyler's gone to the future. Yeah. <laughs> Sees a f- series finale, six feet under style. <laughs> and that's, 
And David, it's this. It's pretty much <laughs> over. Um, we have flatlined. And so, but like, for example, like, a, and like a Paul Goebel, like, clearly, early on, there were a lot of things that I liked. Mm-hmm. I liked video games. I liked comic books. I liked movies. I liked TV shows. And then one thing, movies, and I like those other other things as well, but yeah. movies more than anything emerged as sort of the, the victor, uh, Blu-ray over HD DVD style. And so, uh, and then for some people like a Paul Goebel, clearly TV won. Mm-hmm. For you, it was comic books. Were it like, at what, if we're going to, I, I want to get a little bit interviewer right now. Like at what age did you start getting into them? Yeah. What, like what comic books did you read that kept you interested? Yeah. And at what point did you decide this is it? This is what I want to do. Uh, started, um, fourth or fifth grade because other kids were bringing comics and I went to a school that was across the street. Little did I know a fantastic comic book store. I just thought it was a comic book store. Little did I know I was getting spoiled that Heidi Ho comics, which is still a store in Santa Monica had a store in thousand Oaks at the time. Uh, I'm from Moore park, by the way. Uh, no one knows what that is. Uh, it's about an hour away from Los Angeles. Uh, the, 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 where I picked up a lot of the, and this was the early nineties. So, uh, this is when, uh, image first started. And so it was a lot of those, um, when your uh, image books have a certain reputation, but when you're, uh, uh, eight year old boy, just, you know, stuff like, Wildcats and Youngblood and Spawn, they do just hit you right in the cerebral cortex. Um, you know, and, and that that was great fun. And then from there, um, there was more... I was able to jump into more sophisticated fare. I guess it started with The Max, which was also an, an image book by yeah. Sam Keith uh, and William Messner Loves uh, doing scripting. And that was like the the the... Um, the bridge between image and then what vertigo and then dark horse i would not buy vertigo comics till later but vertigo and dark horse were doing and then it was definitely um dark horse at the time was doing hellboy had just come out madman had just come out uh one of my favorite still one of my favorite comics of all time rusty uh uh big boy and rusty the boy robot uh frank miller and jeff darrow's book uh that blew my mind in terms of what comics could accomplish that was the one book and then uh picking up and then just discovering the history going through all the buying these kind of books that told you about the history of marvel and dc and then just that was when i realized if you want if you want to say like that's when it became more than just uh kid reading comics um I remember hearing, uh, uh, talking about pot dots, um, writing for maximum fun. I remember hearing Brian came on recently on bullseye, uh, Jesse show. And Jesse talked about, you know, comics, he enjoyed comics, but it, it's, it's such a large, you know, there's, there's large mythologies that some people, I, I probably most people go like, I'm not going to scale them out. And then there are some people. And Brian Kavon invoked himself. I will invoke myself who see that mountain, uh, you know, the, the history of Marvel mountain or the history of DC mountain, or just the, the whole idea, all the stuff you need to collect uh, and get into for comics. They see that mountain and say, I will scale that 
scale that like let's break out the rope and other stuff you need to scale a mountain <laughs> whatever it takes to scale a mountain. <laughs> and and let's <laughs> let's figure out the all the appearances of the phantom stranger you know it, it it it's like it's like yes i will that is a cool thing to delve into um and it's interesting because so you mentioned as a as a kid image yeah dark horse and eventually yeah. vertigo Virgo come like later, like because okay. I was like, not much, old much enough. Later? Yeah, okay, because I was not old enough to buy those. Books. So like, that's Did they what... actually enforce that at comic book stores. You know what? I enforce it on myself. I I knew they were mature readers. I didn't. I I I, I didn't. Yeah, I knew because I was reading about how Sam Sandman was closing up at that time, uh-huh. and I knew like I will read that later. Huh. I, it was weird that I enforced that on myself. I guess. But. <laughs> well, good for you. I, guess. I know. Look at look at this kid with willpower. Good up. Um, but the. Uh, I mean, were you were you into Marvel and DC at yeah, all? Yeah, yeah. I should say, yeah. Still, it was okay. it was definitely yeah. I should say, it was, you know, the X Men comics were going through a weird period at that time. I should say, X Men number one, the the Chris Claremont Jim Lee X Men volume two number one was the first comic I bought with my own money. I was already reading like comics people would give me. That was the first one I bought with my own money, like allowance. And yeah, that was definitely something that that is still i'm i'm a fan of the the whole x-men franchise and that was that was also helped by the cartoon which i should say if you revisit doesn't quite hold up but when you're a kid that is there are aspects of that cartoon that are very solid specifically i do like that the structure is very much like a comic book that there are like there's an episode in which they fight you know juggernaut but and it does stand by itself but the end of that episode goes right into the next one, and the beginning is them coming back from another adventure. Yeah. And so I always thought that was interesting. And then they start doing, you know, this saga and that saga, and after a while, I just got tired of it. But no, yeah, the X Men was it was definitely it was it was X Men at Marvel was like that was my and then I guess like most kids like Batman DC because that's when Batman is certainly the animated series, but also before that yeah. the two Burton Michael Keaton films. Oh, you mentioned films. Oh yeah, let's get into it, shall we? You 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 feel like you couldn't have taken part in any of that? Wait, like, I don't know anything com- about this comic podcast. Book. Is about the X Men cartoon? <laughs> <laughs> Why the hell am I dressed like Jubilee? Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> No, why? Because really, it's we're feels super, great. We're That's super, why we're superhero ever, right? Like Jubilee is just ridiculous. no Jubilee is it, certainly not the worst. Jubilee, I think, is, is not the cool. worst, but like the worst to like be featured as much as it's, she was. It's, it's people. I was listening. I should uh, give a shout out to War Rocket Ajax, uh, Chris Sims, and Matt Wilson's podcast. They recently had an episode talking about X Men, uh, which is great. They mentioned Jubilee. Um, they mentioned that she is hurt. By looking so '90s with the the pink glasses up top and 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 the fact that yes, her powers are fireworks. Yeah. Uh, she is also in a long line of characters who are uh, minorities in this case, Asian, who people uh, some artists just draw as white after a while. Which oh, also- the, the the animated series drew her like completely white. Yeah, her. Um, uh, um, but. And yes, is in a long line of of young female characters who are friends of Wolverine. Yeah, who, melt, who melts his heart. But uh, I think there's something still something. I here's the thing: I always try to look for the positive in everything because it's like, you know, um, you want to be like Frank Miller with with Daredevil. Although I like a lot of Daredevil before that, it's like you want to be like I can, or someone can take this character and do something great with it. 
Don't don't count when, it out. You know. When I think of positive people, I yes. think of Frank Miller first. <laughs> I. By the way, you'll get a lot of Frank Miller defense from me on the show, and we oh, might no, get a lot. That's fine. I just mean like, it's just like you know what? I can do it. I can make this the most. Surely, at that time when he was when, he, when yeah when he was doing yeah. Daredevil, he had to think like that. I, I guess that's true. Yes. Okay, David, what do you got? Oh, can we talk about movies now? Sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, sorry. How about this? Okay. How about this? Yeah. The next time you're talking about fucking L.A. restaurants, oh, all right, when that I have about L.A. restaurants with many, many people, more often than you know, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I am not like a foodie, and I'll just be like, uh, I don't know. I guess whatever. You know, movies maybe. I- I don't know when I've talked about L.A. restaurants. And I'm sorry you have to see this, and I'm sorry the listeners have to hear it. Can you leave my thoughts on Jubilee real quick? Sure. From watching the cartoon occasionally. When I, I didn't even really like the cartoon when I was a kid. I didn't like superheroes. I've talked about it on the show before. When I was a kid, I thought superheroes were silly. I thought you enjoyed Batman the Animated Series, though. Uh, yeah, I guess. But uh, I thought his costume was silly, but he didn't have superpowers, so I was okay with that. Okay. I talked about like the only comic I read with any consistency was the Punisher because he didn't wear a, a costume he didn't have superpowers he, he totally just, wore a costume he, he didn't wear a, like a silly costume he wore something you could buy at the store a trench coat and t-shirt <laughs> and he had guns and he shot people and I thought that now was what cool. now what did you think of like when the Dolph Lundgren film came out and he wasn't even wearing the skull shirt uh, I don't really remember the Dolph Lundgren yeah, movie there's not much I saw the that. Thomas Jane movie um, I've, never, I've actually never seen any of the Punisher films which was uh, it's, this is where I actually know a couple things the Thomas Jane movie was uh, in large part based on a run, uh, like twelve issue run that Garth Ennis did. Yeah, I, I love that that run. You've read you've read that. I mean that that was the, that's the start of a longer take that Garth Ennis did. But yes, okay. I, I love Welcome Back Frank. Is that? Uh, yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, that's probably that's actually Welcome Back Frank is probably the last Punisher that I read. But okay, my thoughts on Jubilee. I thought <laughs> this is going to sound weird. I didn't think she was, like, cute the way that I thought that, say, Jasmine from Aladdin was pretty. Okay. You know? But I thought Jubilee... I, I, my thought about her as, as a young kid was, if she was real, she would probably be cute. That's how I thought about Jubilee. Whereas if, Jam, if Jasmine was real, she wouldn't be. Probably Is not. You'd be, like, all... Oh. Really weird looking if she were real. Yeah. Oh, wait. But so like, the so, like, so, like, huge eyes? What do you think? Wait. What, what are we bringing in and bringing back when we say we're making them real? This is like all in this my is head. This is like I have uh, anyway. So yeah, that's about as far as I go with comic books. I like the Punisher because he killed people. I didn't like spandex costumes or superpowers. And then when, when I was you a kid, and, and then when you and I were in college, you got you actually got me into some comic books that I had not that I wasn't really that into. Because yeah, that's when I started reading Sandman and Watchmen. No, um, and I still haven't. I, like I would put the brakes on anyone thinking that I'm like into comics now right. but I have exposed myself to more of the stuff that speaks to me mm-hmm. which is <laughs> what nothing uh, what? it's a stupid it's a stupid thing that happened in my mind not unlike him thinking of weird science that's all is I'm it sorry. The exposed myself yes. thing, especially you, to no. especially oh to God. an inanimate object. That's that's actually what got me. It's just like, what Here's do you think, thing. comic books? That's the best, just, though. They, they can't sue you or or any. I do it all the time. Here's the thing, Tyler. I get sometimes 
uh, hurt by how easily you like roll your eyes at me making a dumb joke. <laughs> that is the dumbest thing. It's so stupid. I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and that's the thing is just like I think I've been like I've been so like stressed and exhausted lately that I cannot hold in like because it was a facial expression that got you because uh-huh. I was just like <laughs> <laughs> like a stupid moron. I'm so sorry, everybody. That's okay. That's okay. But uh, okay, this will get us back into the topic. I think. Um, when I started reading comics again, I read things like uh, uh, Watchmen. I'd say the main way that I discovered Watchmen was because after seeing the movie From Hell, yeah. I bought and read From Hell, which is, I'm going to say, 60 times better than the movie, at least. I love that book. I've seen bits of the movie on HBO. That sort of goes, yes, yeah, right. You're going into the topic. Uh, yeah, and so I basically I started reading comic books in college that... I could sort of see as movies, either that I could literally see, you know, from hell, or you know, getting into things, uh, other Alan Moore things, and and some other stuff that I read, stuff that I that looked and felt and acted like movies to me. What do you? Uh, what, I'm interested in hearing your definition of that. Um, Give me some other examples, please. Uh, well, I will. Um, Was it the fact that they were not ongoing series? Was that a factor in it as well um maybe but then i started getting into i mean that's when i got into garth ennis um uh who i've since mostly gotten out of although i still like some of his he did it i think it was for vertigo a series of like one shots that were all it was uh, under the, the banner war stories war stories yeah those are awesome those, really are, those, like those. are some of my favorite work and also battlefields which is he did at, at another company dynamite which basically those are mini series but yeah okay it's him I think Garth Ennis, if he had his druthers, would just tell war stories all day. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, Which would be fine by me. With, um, I'd say part of it is the way that the books look. You know, I think, um, uh, I think, uh, I think uh, maybe Watchmen kind of, I can see it as like a storyboard in, in some ways. From Hell is different. But it has more to do with the way the characters talk. Um, I felt like in Alan Moore's stuff, and even in Garth Ennis' stuff, even though I, I find some of the Preacher stuff kind of juvenile now, um, the way that the characters talk felt very sort of 90s American indie hip to me. And it, and it didn't feel like this sort of... Um, You're talking about in Preacher. Yeah, in Preacher, yeah. yeah. Um, cause they're talking about pop culture and, and like, you know, that, that, that the Irish vampire is talking about like how, uh, what does he say? Like... I can't remember. It's like Abbott and Costello are better than Laurel and Hardy, or something. The other way around. Like there was there was a whole thing it. like they love Laurel Hardy more than Charlie Chaplin, which that's I what it was. Agree yeah. with. Um, anyway, so that was a big part of it. Whereas I think um, it's sort of like if all you've watched this is something Tyler and I've talked about. I don't know if on mic or off mic before. If all you've ever seen are American movies, the first time you see, say, a Kurosawa film, it feels very weird. It feels like they're overacting. Mm-hmm. Because it's a different it, it's a different tradition. I of see that theater. happens if you if you watch like older films as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, if you watch like Cary yeah. Grant, who I think is a great actor, yeah, or or a Humphrey Bogart or like an Edward G. Robinson, like people who actors who had a very specific style to them and a very specific brand, as opposed to now where that might still happen, but for the most part, like you kind of like your actors to be more versatile. Yeah. Uh, or at the very least, more like subtle. Like if you're going to have a movie yeah. star like a like a Brad Pitt or a George Clooney, 
you at least like a certain degree of subtlety, especially and from someone thing, like is, him. Is, I mean, uh, Rashomon is a great movie, one of the greatest movies of all time. The first time you see it, especially if you're a teenager, um, that sort of gnashing of teeth is uh, takes. It's an acquired taste, I think. Oh, it took me because you. We weren't in the same history of cinema no, class. No, we were in we, the class at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And so the day, like the week that, because I think we're all basically on the same schedule. Uh, the week that we watched it, I was just like, "This movie's great," but man, there's some stuff I I need to get over because <laughs> it's just like that is such overacting. And then someone's like, "Yeah, but that's the style of acting." It's like, yes, but it is overacting. It, it's just accepted. And, and so I, that's what when I when I talk about. Um, Characters in Alan Moore comics or, or Garth Ennis comics talking more like I'm used to in a movie. I guess I'm talking about that maybe subtlety, maybe more irony is a, a big part of it. There's more irony to the way they talk, where, whereas I think comic books were all, always kind of off-putting to me because there was, um, at least in my experience, so little irony in the way that the, the, the dialogue was at the time. It in was, your standard superhero comic, yeah. That, yeah, that, and, and so I guess that's that's what I mean. It felt more like a movie because it was more ironic, I guess. Self-aware, perhaps is that a you could just say like, but, but, but some kind of a sophistication I, in characterization. I'm talking about irony in terms of self-awareness, okay. not like, and that's an added not like rain on your wedding. shade of gray. <laughs> uh-huh. But I love what the conversation going to teenagers finding things corny or finding things um, weird or something because that is kind of a plot point. I'm such a fucking writer. Uh, kind of a. <laughs> A thing that relates to what I want to bring up. Okay, so go ahead and say what. Well, oh yeah, what I guess I, I I bothered uh, you guys, and now I'm bothering the listeners um, <laughs> uh, because I, I just wanted to hash out. I really enjoy a lot of a lot of the the enjoy the fact that comics have a a more respected place in in perhaps pop culture, and I, I have enjoyed a lot of comic-based films, but I ha- have kind of a question of, uh, I'm trying to figure out, there's so much great um, visionary work in comics, and there's so much great visionary work in films, but I, with a few exceptions, and unfortunately, I don't think those exceptions have done too well with an overall mass audience, I don't see a lot of great visionary work in comics, in films that are comics adaptions. Mm-hmm. There, there's good work, but it's not like, I mean... My favorite film is Brazil, and that's kind of where I uh, – maybe it's dumb to judge other films by that, but that's what I do. Um, if not consciously, then at least subconsciously. And and I do love movies like that, and, and, I, and, and I do love anything that's going to give me that great um, – you know, visionary kind of, of, uh, take on things. That's definitely why I, I keep, why I love film so much. Um, and I, and I'm wondering why or, or when, or, or I guess whatever is like, when are we going to get that great visionary comics film? I think we have one. Um, but, um, which one do you think? We have? I think Scott Pilgrim is that That's the one I would have picked out too. Let me ask, let me ask your opinion. And I'm not putting these out there as examples of what you're talking about necessarily, but I'm interested to know, uh, what you thought of Sin City. Um, insofar as what we're talking about here, yeah. like it is like the idea of, you know, somebody who likes Brazil is somebody yes. who clearly likes a, an entire world being built that is similar to ours, but just different enough that it, it creates. And when I say visionary, that needs. doesn't have to be it. But well, can I, I interject? Uh, I haven't seen Sin City, but um, something like, say, 300 
mm-hmm. where he's trying slavishly to recreate the feel of the comic, isn't that the opposite of visionary? Well, that's what you and I always say. Because three, I don't know where you stand. I've never seen three hundred. Three hundred is nor have I read the book. Three hundred is, in my opinion, probably the worst movie produced in my lifetime. Um, surely, yeah. I, I can't. I can't argue with you, but surely that can't be true. Are you not including like ineptly made films? Like, yeah, room? I think I would rather like watch Demick? an ineptly made film than than come anywhere near three hundred again. All right. Let's you and me watch it again. Oh, that it's should be toxic. We'll do it. We'll do a commentary. <laughs> we should do a commentary. Um, but uh, so that was so yeah so the question then is visionary but where does the vision start yeah does this, are you okay with it starting with the comic book and then the director merely realizes it like a Zack Snyder or or, or uh, Robert Rodriguez with Sin City well, but we should like say it? in Sin City Frank Miller is co-director on that film yeah I know no that I think that's that's a uh, that's a big I think it's a big deal that he would bring in the the cartoonist i think it is a big deal and but i i and i haven't looked you know what this this is on me i have not looked into any of the making of because i i kind of didn't want to know about it but like i'm interested to know when it came to the filmmaking aspect how much of it came down to frank miller or robert rodriguez or he just feels like well i'm taking so much directly from the book that i feel like he just needs to be co-billed as director no but he was always there oh i'm sure okay and then he did. Then Frank Miller himself the, did the spirit, the spirit right? which, which I, I will saw. defend. Will you? Okay. He's a big I, fan of this guy. I worked, uh, uh, a, a lot of Frank. I'm not going to say everything he does is is great, but I think I see that 300 film. See, I, it's weird that I don't. But but people, you know, people. I, I've seen bits of it. Be like, I don't know if that's for me. But Dawn of the Dead, that Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead is great stuff. Yeah, I like that a lot. Oh, wait, we're talking about Zack Snyder or Frank Miller? Zack Snyder. Oh, okay. But nothing else he's ever done. I think we were talking about Frank Miller. Yeah, no, no, but that, because I was just like... Because he did 300. Yes, he was the director. And so, like... No, hang on. Frank Miller wrote 300. Sorry, you said... Wrote and You said, yes, he's the director. And I was like, he didn't direct that. Frank Miller wrote 300. Zack Snyder directed directed 300. Okay, we're all here now. Zack Snyder, yes. Zack Snyder directed Dawn of the Dead, uh, which is uh, a wonderful movie. And uh, the last good thing he did. No, that's not entirely true. There are aspects of Watchmen that are pretty solid. Watchmen, though, I guess I guess we should go into it because you're asking me what I think about Sin City. I really like. I guess I, I I admire I do really admire Sin City, but yeah, when it's when when it's so slap slavish is it slavishly or slavishly? I don't know. I, sh- I assume slavish. I think slavish. it's slavish or Slavic. <laughs> uh, I'm what? Well, I'm, I do get a strong Slavic tendency from that film. I guess as a I don't sort of Slavic person, half half of my family at least, I, I I did not really get that from the film. But um, uh, it was I I admire that. But then I do want a film to I I always want a film to be its own thing. Okay, and that's why there was I, I will say this. I guess it's I we talk about Scott Pilgrim. I saw Scott Pilgrim in theaters five times. <laughs> which was good. I remember the fifth time I saw it I sort of felt like this is what I do I watch it, <laughs> it was, although that was, was the last time I saw it but it was at the Egyptian um, and you had Edgar Wright was there to speak about it Brian Lee O'Malley the author both writer and artist of the book Michael Sarah, but they were being interviewed by Guillermo del Toro and del Toro had the best i should not uh hit the uh table with my pencil del toro had the best quote about doing adaptation i've ever heard and it's i still think about it maybe once a week uh where he said 
adapting a work is like being married to a widow you respect uh her her husband you you have you you appreciate everything of that but now you're married to her it's time to get down to business <laughs> and i still think like that is how you should hmm. take adaptation where you have everything is is there is being respected but it's like hey we're making this film my name is going to be honest director my name is going to be on as, as writer and it's got to have i've got to be communicating something that only i can can communicate um i think that is when when people take that take well when people take that feeling on just creating anything where they feel like they're personally communicating something that's always why i i think we all by the way i I know this is uh like analogy because this idea of like because yes you it's there you have a relationship with like the, the the man that has died or something like that but then in dealing with the widow like she carries all that with her and she likely is going to be comparing the two and likely i don't know if that's actually yeah but not like hopefully not in a way that's that ruins a relationship right hopefully not yeah would the widow do you think the widow i haven't i'm only thinking about it now do you think the widow would be like the audience I think case, the widow is the property. I guess so, it is yeah. a property, and then you as the, the new author. The dead husband is the creator. Okay. And you the, are the new husband. And the kids are the audience saying, you're not my father. The kids are the spinoff. Okay. Listen, Hellboy the kids are all the right. Okay. We can agree on that. <laughs> yes. I don't think we can. No, the offspring cannot agree. The offspring are saying <laughs> yeah, the, the kids are not disagree. Our... Got to keep them separated. <laughs> that, that is true. <laughs> Um, what did you think about? Uh, sorry, David. Um, I'm I'm taking your role today. I apologize of saying silly jokes. Um, now we've talked about actually fairly recently on the show, and of course this is not based on an on a fairly on an adult property at all. But um, Dick Tracy. Yeah, which I actually saw. I you'll hear in this that I, I see a lot of movies where people are speaking at it because where you live in Los Angeles, we can get, take advantage sure. of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if they s- still do it because he's not the LA Times anymore. But Jeff Boucher, when he was writing the Hero Complex, there was a Hero Complex film festival mm-hmm. uh, based on the Hero Complex column he had at LA Times. And he explained Hero Complex was a is well, it's still around. He Jeff, oh. Jeff Boucher okay. just moved on to Entertainment Weekly, but it is was a. Uh, blog or series of articles that dealt with that kind of I, I guess what people would say comic-con era of of pop culture right. where he would talk about or he would write do these great interviews with people like like he would probably talk to you he probably did talk to like frank miller and robert rodriguez about sin city or that kind of stuff okay so who was he was speaking at dick tracy uh they, they brought warren Beatty to speak at dick tracy oh, awesome. and it was it what was theater? uh that that was a uh, man's chinese I think all the hero complex things were at Manchinese, the both years or three years, maybe that was quite an experience. Cause you were a warm, it was, you know, it's, it's the LA times thing. Boucher was working for the LA times at the time and Warren Beatty or Beatty. I've never, Beatty. uh, you realize that is a dude who has been quoted and misquoted by the press and the LA times for maybe 30, 40 years. Uh-huh. And he, get and he made reference to it but he gets that and was always both candid and guarded at the same time it was a weird thing but i, I mean i enjoyed it and i was i was glad i i went and i was glad to see dick trace on the big screen which it didn't when it when it came out i saw it on vhs and um i don't know it's weird when things i guess because this kind of goes to sin city as well and the angley hulk film where they take surface elements 
of comics. And, and I think they do something. I think Dick Tracy does interesting. Th- that is the most interesting part of the movie. I should say is the fact that he goes full on pop with it. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. You know what? I appreciate in Dick Tracy because, because this is the important thing. It then feels like its own filmic thing like this is a film technique now yeah. it was born you know he he had a friend who did comic strips uh and and talked to, to him about the coloring process and like I'm, I'm talking about like newspaper comic strips uh which dick tracy was and uh and but then it was clear you see the work put put into the sets you see the work put in the costumes you see the work put into the makeup and you're like yes this is this is filmmaking mm-hmm. i think that dick tracy though is you know environment Big, over the top, crazy perform performances like by Pacino, Dustin Hoffman. Big, crazy, all Beatty's direction. You know, this probably came from conversation with him. Beatty's acting in the film. Oh yeah, where does it's like how did how did the director who wanted you know huge like purple buildings also turns in a lead performance that is that feels like incongruous to the film because it, it's it's not. Yeah, you think he had too many irons in the fire? I don't know. Maybe, maybe he just wasn't thinking. He wasn't. Well, I think he as I think he wanted us to care about the character and his relationship with was it Glenn Glenn Headley? Yes, like on Parks and Rec recently. That's who played the kid, right? No, she's the that's wife. Charlie. Oh, God. <laughs> I know who Glenn Headley is. And she represents anyway. Thrust so um, the Thirty-one uh, Scoundrels. That's her. Yes. Um, oh yeah. Anyway. Uh, I think he actually so wanted. We want to keep talking about people I had a crush on as a kid. Weirdly, Glenn Headley. Glenn, sure. When I, yeah. when I, when I can I was see a that kid from Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yeah, I, uh, I had a, a hotter crush. Joan Cusack. Would you say? <laughs> I always like Joan Cusack. Joan Cusack. Yeah, sure. She's got good eyes, that Glenn Headley. Anyway, um, so the, uh, but I think he actually wanted us to care about that relationship. And even though I think she's doing. Yeah, a really, a really, you know, really good work and delivering kind of a, just a slightly heightened performance. Yes, like I that's that what maybe, Beatty should have been doing. But I think maybe he, as an actor, thought that maybe if I heighten it, maybe it will look like I'm distant. Maybe I will dis- distance myself from the the sympathy aspect. And I don't know if this is actually true, but maybe he thought like. You know, if I'm delivering, because because th- of course Dick Tracy is the most like straight arrow guy. Yeah, he he so literally he, has a square jaw. Yeah, yeah, I mean if so, if it was played like a like a Bruce Campbell or something like that, which would have been great casting. That would have been great. But like, you know, just that sort of, you know, Dan Aykroyd in the Dragnet movie, ex- ex- which is great. Which is great, by the way. Yeah, no, yeah. Dragnet. I've never yeah. seen it. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember liking it when I was younger. But yeah, that kind of thing. But that's the thing. Do you? How much do you care about Dan Aykroyd in Dragnet? Now, I care care about him a lot because the film is as silly. The whole thing is silly, yeah. and they acknowledge that. Whereas, he seemed to really want to do something with the Dick Tracy character, and perhaps that was his mistake. But that was weird because then it's like, well, now I'm getting to the whole thing. I guess what I want to talk about It's like when, when things get that stylistic, which is, is what I want, I guess I want in some way, things to... to being adapted from comics to be permission to to be like we can be we can be really visionaries we can pull out all the stops and be um and and really push it um i guess you know it's 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 then in doing that do we create a a 
a very campy and and place that that creates a distance with the audience um or not can we have that are there are there films like that that we get great uh i guess aesthetic um we we really admire the aesthetic and then also and I think this goes. You know, back what? I to, would say. Well, I would say Wes Anderson, but I know David does not. <laughs> but I would say that as an example of, of someone who's really, who is who is you know he's he's like dusting every corner. But then also, I would say Royal Tenenbaums. Um, you are getting an emotional punch. I, that film certainly had an emotional punch for me. I know maybe you feel differently though. Nah, I, I, I there's things about revisiting Royal Tenenbaums somewhat recently when the Criterion Blu-ray came out. I liked it a yeah. little more. That's his best. I agree. I still like Fantastic Mr. Fox the best. I actually know I understand And there's, but this goes. But if back we're talking to, about, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, it goes back to something that Dave and I have talked about. That like, you know, I think when you're a little bit younger, like I like the concept of melodrama, like that term is used in a negative way. And yeah. so, but like, if if you are going to, if you are going to create heightened visuals and that sort of thing, then you need to, you probably need to ha- amp up the emotion as well to the point where it is melodramatic. But that's the only way you can that you can keep up with the visuals and the tone and the, and people are going to go with you you know they'll they'll you know, accept that tone my example what i was going to say okay. one of my personal favorite directors of all time is joe dante i think that's a guy who is very much considering in a way that he like on i think it's the gremlins or maybe gremlins 2 uh commentary where he says that he like frames a shot like he's working for mad magazine where there's a yeah. joke down in the he's bottom right he's definitely somewhere. that you know it's weird i love that i guess amblin uh, era of film because people talk about like oh the the geeks are taking over I'm like no the geeks were taken over when <laughs> when Steven Spielberg and George Lucas became billionaires <laughs> and um, you know that that was because those were all they it was clearly they grew up they you know Lucas Spielberg John Landis Joe Dante uh, kind of other uh, maybe John Millius you know that they, they call them the they didn't all go to USC but that kind of usc film school generation you know they they grew up with ec comics that's how you get you know george romero and stephen king doing creep show i would say stephen king is is of that generation too even though he's in a different medium we we won't count uh maximum overdrive um uh you know uh of that like we grew up on I, i would definitely say ec comics grew up on on serials which is how you get star wars and indiana jones and then we're gonna give them a respect they didn't get before, which is now when when you have generations now when you have people bringing you know saying like uh, you know like bringing Watchmen to the to the masses and to you know I feel that's a modern day version of of yeah Joe Dante saying like Mad Magazine is a thing that is aesthetic aesthetically brilliant and I am going to uh-huh. make it a, a, a definite part of my my creative life. By the way, real quick, um, speaking of seeing people speak at places, this was. 2007, like Halloween, sometime in October, mm-hmm. the Egyptian did a triple feature of like non monstery Hammer films. They were all produced by Hammer, but they weren't yeah. like monster. It was uh, Never Take, was it Never Take Candy from Stranger? I think was one of them, Maniac, and there's another one. Uh, and they were awesome. And Joe Dante, like, wasn't yeah. even, <laughs> apparently, like, wasn't even scheduled to speak beforehand. He, like, I think just showed up to watch the movies and, like... I love that idea that they just see... I was like, Dante. He's like, yeah. Yeah, and so he talked before before the movies. Anyway, but, um... Uh, speaking of 
Uh, this episode has sort of become something I didn't think it was going to, but it's fun. Uh, no, me too. But, is, uh, EC Comics, is that like Tales from the Crypt? Yeah. EC okay. was Tales from the Crypt. Okay. And then also the Weird Science, a great sci-fi stuff, mostly okay. seen by an artist, Wallace Wood, who, you know, you get the spaceships and you get the big bubble helmets. Uh, uh, and that also was where Mad Magazine started. Did you guys ever see... Um, it's an episode of Tales from the Crypt, but it was originally going to be like a backdoor pilot for a spinoff mm-hmm. called Two-Fisted Tales. Two Visit Tales was also an easy thing. Yeah. Yes, and they were going to do, HBO was also going to do a Two Visit Tales series. They only ended up producing one, and it was directed by Robert Zemeckis, and it's called Yellow, and it's a like reimagining of Paths of Glory. It's, it's a very similar story. I've never seen any of the Tales of Crypt show. Oh, okay. It's well, not that Dan great, but it's interesting. Yellow is so awesome because it's got uh, Kirk Douglas, hmm. um, it's got, uh, um, and then in, I guess, the. Yeah, so it's got Kirk Douglas, it's got. Um, Dan Aykroyd, and then it's got not Michael Douglas, the other Eric Douglas. Is that his name? He was also trying to be a stand-up. Okay, but the other acting like Kirk Douglas's son. Yeah, and basically they play father and son, and yeah. Eric Douglas plays the if you know the story of like Paz of Glory, the cowardly. I, I love Paz of Glory. Yeah, uh, and Kirk Douglas plays his father, who's also the hard ass like general who wants him to be court-martialed for yeah for cowardice. Uh, it's hmm. uh, it's an. Uh, you can watch like the whole thing on YouTube. I'm sure. Um, Zemeckis is definitely also of that. Gen- yeah. Him and Bob Gale, his writing partner of Back to the Future and yeah. Use Cars. He also did that. Uh, Zemeckis did that one. Uh, is it Amazing Stories? Amazing like, Stories is a thing. I, there's a lot of great Amazing Stories. Oh. Uh, amazing Stories, the, um, there's the TV good. show. <laughs> and there are some awesome ones, but it like looks like it's shoestring budget. It's tiny. And but they, they can they do did some this great one things. With Robert Zemeckis with Christopher Lloyd, that is like yeah. hugely expensive. I remember that one. Doing like all kinds of uh, 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 effects work and like Chris Boyd is at one point like chasing the kids down the street holding his own head in his hand like he's headless I remember seeing that as a kid, yeah. head. Uh, awesome stuff the Gregory Hines uh, amazing story directed by Peter Hyams who is not a director who's brought up a lot he did 2010 and did Time Cop and now his yeah. son is a director and he did The Musketeer I don't know, but he did the Musketeer. Okay, but that and he's also he's actually probably more prolific as a DP. That is a, a great that is, and you'll see why he's a great DP in that amazing story. So I forgot it's Gregory Hines. It's sort of like um, that one Stephen King thing with Christopher Walken, the, the Dead, Dead Zone? Zone. Yeah, where he can touch people. Yeah, it's like that. That is a great uh, amazing story. Um, yeah, I, I, I rag on Robert Zemeckis a lot on this show, but apparently on TV. I'm a big fan because I like his amazing stories and I like his Tales from the Crypt. And Tales of the Crypt was his thing. Like, that was him. Right. Him. That was, again, he, he was like, I'm going to make EC Comics a thing because EC Comics hadn't been uh, around. Mad Magazine became a magazine, but mm-hmm. those things weren't around, you know, by the 50s. So let's get back to um, something because you wrote us an email about your ideas for, for what you wanted to talk about. And one of the things that sort of um, got under my attention that I wanted to ask you about was this idea of because you were talking about when are we going to get the visionary like comic book movie. Uh, but you were talking about how in some ways perhaps the movier versions of comic books are actually informing the comic books. That that some No, I was I was I guess I was thinking that I think we, I think I it. think the the in a weird way that like other aspects of the comics world are in the movie world now and the fact that we have reboots and shared universes are like a thing. Well, that's cool. Cuz here's the thing. In the early 2000s uh, and people were really like, "Hey, we got to get these sales up in comics." There was there was a, there was a lot of people, and, and I think 
thinking admirably, we've got to make comics more like movies where I'll just have like one original graphic novel and people can follow it. And it's just like running a, a movie, but it'll just be a, it'll just be a comics. Like we got to make comics more like movies. They don't have to be superheroes all the time. And not that, but do you think, yeah, uh, yeah, I agree that, that and the then, ongoing stories and stuff, but do you think that in terms of maybe, um, comic book art, do you think it's being informed by the like scope frame or or or, or things that you can do? A little bit. I just but, but just to just to finish on my thing, it, it, I think it's ironic that the end of the two thousands, what happened was the movie industry became more like the comics industry with these with uh, great success we share. But but as for our, I I don't. There's a, to me. There's always. I I know that there's always been a back and forth. I remember because one of the first books. It's weird that. I'm here talking about it because I remember one of the first books I got that taught me about comics history and movie history was just like this big like picture book uh-huh. about comics and films and that's where I first learned about Citizen Kane because they talked about Jack Kirby my favorite comics creator of all time uh, uh, seeing like Citizen Kane and that affecting the framing of his work which is ironic because Orson Welles was a huge fan of Terry and the Pirates Milton Kniff uh, who is a cartoonist was a huge celebrity at the time and like golfed with Eisenhower. Um, <laughs> uh, but which you could be at the, like in the fifties, uh, if you were like a news, like Al Cap was big enough to interview John Lennon, I guess. Um, but th- there's that back and forth where like Orson Welles was influenced by Terry the Pirates, Jack Kirby goes to Citizen Kane. And then he's influenced by like, you know, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon and Captain America, change the way like comics uh, can be American comics can be framed and stuff and you, you know these huge splash pages and people are going like that's you know that that changing the medium um, so there's always been a back and forth like that though I see you know you know Neil Adams coming in the 70s to make and and having things be more realistic that's just you know I, I, I feel that's that's an ongoing thing but then at the same time I remember seeing Arnold Drake uh, who was the creator, a co-creator of like Doom Patrol, uh, of doing a, eventually writing on a film that Otto Preminger was directing or working on, and it was in Africa. And he talks about Otto Preminger getting a big box of comics shipped to him, and this was probably in the sixties or seventies. And all Drake asked him why Preminger wanted that, and Preminger said it's good for the director's eye uh, when it comes to framing shots because. And, and it has been argued that this is a lost art in the fact that modern technology just allows you so much coverage. But when you're shooting for the edit, as they, as they say, when you're, when you're framing up a shot, people like a lot of people go back like Joe Dante with Mad Magazine, go back to comics and then comics artists see what movie directors do. So I think that's always been a, 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 a conversation. Um, now I don't, I don't talk about my day job on the show, but I can talk about day jobs that I don't do anymore. Back in 2008 and into the beginning of 2009, I was um, a temp in the records and archives department at MGM. Um, and one of the things we were boxing up in 2008 was stuff from the production of Valkyrie. And from the uh, the art people, we had just a, like a banker box full of war comics, including a lot of Sergeant yeah. Rock uh, yeah. and a lot of um, Joe Kubert, all that uh, stuff, including the some of those Godfather's War stories are actually in there. And oh yeah, and, uh, but that, 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 that's stuff that I, I actually really really like. Sergeant Rock, uh, yeah, again, that stuff's really cool. And Joe Kubert again, that's is. what appeals to me. Not superheroes or tight costumes, but uh, real people killing each other. Well, that's that's what I wanted. The, the, the one thing I was writing in my notes is is 
I think we do get visionary comics adaptations, but when the directors aren't adapting comics outright, but in, you know, I have here, you know, I, I brought some visual aids, which is so perfect for a podcast, <laughs> but I have the ink call written by Alejandro Yurovorsky, who is a film director who then went to comics, uh, which you can do in France, I guess. And then, um, but drawn by Mobius, who of course is in, in the seventies, like every film director was definitely looking at every, uh, Sydney Lumet probably wasn't looking at Mobius, but like Ridley Scott was hiring Mobius to work on alien and Yurovorsky was hired Mobius to do an, ill-fated version of dune but if you look at the fifth element and you look uh. at what luke, luke the song was doing he was studying mobius like crazy and there was talk about Mo- mobius maybe taking legal action but eventually it didn't happen <laughs> but you can see like and let me ask you questions while we're on mobius have you seen crimson tide <laughs> yes i love that scene <laughs> and which that tarantino wrote oh yeah. no question yeah, yeah. So have you ever heard oh my my god have you ever heard the commentary that Tarantino Edgar Wright did for Hot Fuzz <laughs> no it is it is it is a film first of all you can hear it all on YouTube you do not have to have the movie going while you listen to it because they do not really talk about they talk <laughs> I'm about surprised by that they talk about everything else mostly talk about like British action films and and, and stuff but they 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 just it is a is a film lover's dream those listening to those two go back and forth but Tarantino talks a bit about the script writing in Crimson Tide how he was brought in you know there's the original script I forget the original writer's name uh, unfortunately uh, and then Tarantino was brought in and then Robert Town did some work after that and Tarantino says that for a Jerry Bruckheimer film like that is written directed by the same person almost because he would just have you just have ghost writers until the cows come home that's a dumb thing to say um <laughs> but yeah that so well the the argument in crimson tide is whether oh, the silver mobius. Server, mobius or what's the kirby other Jack kirby silver oh, Server, so that, yeah. and that's your you prefer the well yeah it, that is kind of a weird argument because um you know kirby did silver Surfer. he int- introduced him in fantastic four stanley and K- kirby introduced him in fantastic four um and then they did him for that three those three issues and then a couple issues later and then mobius just did that two issues of the silver surfer later and that was but john buscema uh is you know did the series um but uh it, it was weird like i just love how even though there's those are kind of just ephemera they're they you know silver surfer was never a huge character mm-hmm. i just love like that was big enough to uh to get into movies or i guess well it's arguable like tarantino, tarantino incorporating something doesn't mean it's big no but i love and also again like that was another thing like like people talk about rise of geek culture like when kevin smith and quentin tarantino became big like that was yeah. to me that was it. and i think rodriguez too yeah uh, rodriguez, cor- but like the fact that. that they they would talk about comics I, and stuff in their movies i think i think the truth is that the geekier people are the people who they're always yeah end up making movies so yes. i think it's kind of always been the rise of the geek yeah yeah in terms of making it then we just get these handsome people to say our lines yeah <laughs> and then they go on talk shows and talk about how they're actually they're such nerds and they were totally reading comic books listen i Ugh. the the whole no we will not get into the whole fake geek argument let's not on this that. show which because i everyone is wonderful <laughs> Well, I, I hate it. There's some of that Frank Miller positivity I've been hearing so much about. Because I, who have more geek cred than 90% of famous actors, am 
very cautious about referring to myself as a geek or a nerd. I'm very just like weird about labels at all. But I, like, I just know that people, you know, there are people who I think have really earned that and that it means something to them to to use that to use that word, uh, either one of those words. And so I, uh, except for I, I think when it comes to comedy, I am fully confident referring to myself as a comedy geek or a comedy nerd. I think I have my bona fides on comedy, but other stuff, I, I tend to steer clear of claiming that. David, you do not know what you are getting yourself into. Ian and I yeah. had a three-hour lunch. Talking we talked about, about this for ten minutes. It, well, we, we, we went back and forth, and then we, yeah. we delved into our personal issues. But uh, but it, it was it was started by that because of the something that I contributed to the uh, Paul Goebel show, because they had had this uh, conversation recently. And, uh, and yeah, I think... Uh, I, I, I enjoy clinging to labels because it's just like they're all I have for <laughs> myself. Um, and so because uh, they're easy, you know, positive or negative, they're easy. And just like, OK, all right, I am a geek and uh, or a nerd or whatever. I prefer nerd to geek. You and I've talked yeah. about this before. I right? don't know if we have. OK. Did you ever see You're the Dog? The movie I was a PA on? No. Molly Shannon becomes a vegan under Peter Sarsgaard's tutelage. And she says like. I love being a vegan. I've never had a single word that described me before. <laughs> but here's the thing. In the, in, the mo- in the movie, in the show Freaks and Geeks, there's a part where um, the, the, the kid, I forgot his name, John Francis Daly. I love that show. I forgot the main character's name. Where John Francis Daly's character says, we're, you know, why do they call us geeks or nerve? We're just guys. Like, that's how I felt as a kid. Uh-huh. Like, why is there... I know oh, I've never I, when it comes to like clicks and stuff like I never really experienced that which is one of the reasons that I hey we're back one of the reasons that I hated struck by lightning is that it still perpetuates this idea yeah, that just people like, like that but uh, but at the same time no I don't mean geek is in like a purely social thing like a, like a high uh, middle school or high school misfit or something like that I actually found that I fit in quite a bit with a number of people not to imply yeah. I was popular but I fit in with a lot of people because uh, I was, kind I was of thing. yeah I was able to make people laugh I don't mean to say that I'm super funny but for a high schooler I was pretty funny they laughed at everything is what you're saying <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. but I think I I think of the term not as like a click but almost as almost like a person it's like having a degree or something like if they're a I guess you could be like yes like that, I've I've y- it is a shame that I don't know if it's a shame, but since they don't give you a PhD, you don't have a, go, a, a credentialed body to give you a PhD after you listen to every Bill Hicks album. You instead have to get on fights with this a special thing, which is the message board. Oh, we didn't ever mention it. No, yeah, a special uh, thing dot com, which is where ASC Records comes from, yeah. and where Never Not Funny came from. Yeah, and yeah. friend of the show Matt Belknap, you know, Belknap. he started it, so it's okay for us to say it, right? Yeah, I guess. You don't like giving him free publicity. That's one thing I know about you is uh, screw Matt Belknap. That's, yeah, that's you true. say it all the time. Oh, man, that guy. <laughs> oh, he really gets my gun. But, uh, but another thing about like, like movies that have, that have great visionary uh, execution because of comics is, is just like what Paul Verhoeven did with, um, with RoboCop, which is if, if you watch RoboCop, at the end of it, which there I is it, often, I, which I love that movie, maybe one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah. At the end of it, there is a special thanks to Howard Victor Chagan, and I believe that is preemptive move by them because so much of the uh, look of of RoboCop from, comes from American Flag. Which, by the way, American Flag people talk about Watchmen. 
They talk about Dark Knight Returns. They should talk about American Flag within that same breath. They don't because it was not um, in print for as long as... Mm because it wasn't from dc it was from a, com- a company called first comics but american flag and what shaken did if you look at the 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 visuals of that all the media stuff in robocop and a lot of it not the story of american flag but it is what um you can definitely tell in that and a couple other things that they were definitely studying what shaken was doing and, and i for everyone listening i would say definitely check out american flag that's with two g's and exclamation point the hardcover is from image dynamite and mm. uh, it's also on comiXology so okay this actually brings something up that i wanted to to talk about or rather uh, explore because i'm not sure uh and, and although i'm sure i'm the i'm gonna say 10 millionth person to think of it is that water is great you know what? I'm pretty late to that party in general. Um, I'm not a big fan of water, although I am now. But the, uh, and yet you love Liquidator. Shouldn't that have rubbed off? I know. Did you know he was water? Did well, you I think he, he was blue play doh? I know he got turned into uh, chocolate jello. Yeah. And that looked yeah. delicious. Yes. Now, um, so you mentioned this idea of like, of like, you know, comic books not being adapted into sort of this visionary thing. Um, or, or something that like is true to their. I guess what I'm worried about or... worried about is the Fantastic Four movies, or I should only say I saw the first one in theaters. I've seen bits of the second one. By the first one, you mean the first one with the first one that, that was released. Although okay. I've seen bits of that, Roger. <laughs> it was not Roger Kurt Corman, who I lo- have a tons of admiration for, produced it. I guess, and it was Vidal Sassoon's son, Olivier Sassoon, who directed it. <laughs> Solely so that they could maintain the rights to it, right? That yeah, was it was that kind of thing. Yeah, which we make fun of, but that Amazing Spider-Man movie was the same thing. <laughs> yeah, Don Draper's dad played uh, uh, Doctor Doom in that movie. Yeah, Don funny. Draper's the guy who dad. plays Don Draper's dad in flashbacks is the one who played oh, Doctor. I can't even picture him. Hmm. He's got a pretty crazy face. Well, I guess you guess you didn't see. Probably it. a good thing that he put uh, that Doctor Doom mask over it. Yes, although again, in that Fantastic Four movie. It's like we're not really going to give him a mask. I worry, like, Fantastic Four was where Stanley and Jack Kirby built the Marvel Universe. And there was a time where, you know, that book was just crazy concept after crazy concept where you had Galactus and Silver Surfer and the Inhumans and Black Panther and the Nation of Wakanda. Uh, You just had crazy concept. And you were just like, this is... Um, I, I was not alive at the time, but that, but discovering those comics um, later on and just seeing the influence they had, that still is so. Uh, that is the definition of to me of the word visionary. And then uh, seeing that movie and then going, oh no, uh, this is this is uh, this but, is barely visionary. When did the when did that uh, first fantastic? You know what I mean the the one that was released. When did that come out? 2004, three? Yeah, something like okay. that. Okay. And so, like, comic book movies as they are now, you know, which maybe got kicked off with, like, X Men in 2000. Like, X Men in 2000, really that was Spider It was when Spider Man. Yeah. Which I just, was, I was that one, like, that one two punch, like, kicked it off to the point where it is a giant thing now, the comic book movie. And so, but I think what that kicked it off, and then Batman Begins, I think, solidified it. Uh, Spider Man 2, and then Batman Begins. Mm hmm. And so Fantastic Four was still in that, pro- and Daredevil and Elektra and stuff. Like they were still in that little yeah. area where it's like we're not totally sure what we want to be and what and, we're and trying to be. And I think it was they be. were 
unsure of what people would buy. Yeah. Because this is go back to you're talking about when you're a teenager, you first see Kurosawa, you first see something old. When you first see something that has a style, that's a style mm-hmm. that's different than you're used to. I think especially teen, I think especially teenagers I think especially teenage males um, and I can speak with some authority because I was one um, <laughs> they there is a, a laughing and a, and, a, and a ridicule that some of them do um, which I think I don't know I want to say it comes out of like fear or some way or some kinds of, of, of just like but I don't know what this is this and it and uh, it's making me feel weird things now I'm projecting probably some kind of weird psychology on it but <laughs> well i think for me it was more like it, it probably was like a fear of i was so afraid of like being made fun of or like standing out or being embarrassed that's the thing and it's I like this like, is this is the opposite of homo- homogenization is hopefully the correct way to pronounce that yeah i think uh, homog- homogenization but yes. I, I would i i made in middle school and high school to some extent i made a an art out of being able to blend in, uh, of being not of not being noticed. Yeah. And so, reading comic books with guys in yellow spandex and superpowers seemed like it was like it, it would be like turning a, a beacon on and saying, you know, look at me, I'm I'm weird. See, and, and, and you I, weren't you weren't a half Jewish kid at a Catholic school, which is what <laughs> I was, and you did not have that. And I should I you, should just actually just include middle school because in high school I did become more comfortable with myself and did start calling a lot of attention to myself by having mohawks and wearing brightly colored clothes with yeah and you decided and to take part and... in high school theater like how does how <laughs> yeah. did that not set off any alarms for you yeah I, I would say i definitely came into my own in in high school but in middle, middle school i was very much about yeah blending in and not being noticed um anyway so i okay. had oh so i i what i wanted to bring up was this idea and i'm i'm sure you know, in talking about Star Wars and, and Indiana Jones, you kind of brought it up already. Is that and RoboCop that like there there are you know comic books aren't being there are comic books that are like either being adapted poorly or not adapted at all. But one could make the argument that they are being adapted, just not directly. You know that comic oh yeah, these kind of like ghost adaptations. Yeah, or- that, they, that they're having such an impact on the public, but also on the on the artists. On you know directors and and screenwriters and that sort of thing yeah. that it's having an effect whether or not there are, you know something like a sky captain in the world of tomorrow which is a movie I love and I never seen I'm interested in it. I I love it but then like so that so as far as like you know superhero and adventure comic books there's stuff like RoboCop and and Indiana Jones and stuff even by the way was, I refer to RoboCop as Citizen Kane Part Two is that weird that is where that film fits in my heart. Okay, I could, no, I could see that. That 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 sounds right to me. Yes, you know, it, it, I think, I think it, it's fair to call it. Yeah, if Orson Welles was alive in 1986, which I think he was, no, he I think he died. He died in 1985. Yeah. If he was alive, he would have made RoboCop. Let's just say it here, folks. He would have loved RoboCop. He I would think have, so. I think he, he would have. He, how great would he would have been as the head of OCP? Oh yes, OWP. Orson Welles. He. <laughs> <laughs> How great, David! If Orson Welles was in RoboCop as the head, uh, Ronnie Cox's role, was it Ronnie Cox? Um, no, yeah. who's the guy? But the Ronnie guy Cox, was in yeah. Hollywood Three, yeah, 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 yeah. Halloween Three. Um, How great would Orson Welles in RoboCop? But, uh, uh, I want him as Ed Two Hundred Nine because there is a. Um, I don't know if you listen. I know you don't to, to the best show on WFMU. I listen to a little bit, but there was a topic at one point that spanned an episode or two where he was like movie roles that Orson Welles might have played had if he had lived. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we, you, David, uh, David, most, most of the joke was about like 
what would he have stooped to? Oh yes, absolutely. Because <laughs> that's where he was by the time. There is a great. I took a a a class in San Francisco State University because, and he's a, he's a cool guy. But just because the professor worked with Orson Welles, Joseph McBride, um, and Joseph McBride has written a couple of great books about Orson Welles, but one um, has him talking about doing a voice in Transformers the movie it has a quote he goes like and really the quote is just like I'm doing this it's horrible Japanese stuff like that's really all he says about it but I'm just like the fact that he talked to somebody about it there was like uh, I don't remember where I read this but there was I think it was in one of the many Orson Welles biographies that I've that I've read but um, there was like the briefest of, of whispers there was an actual there was like one conversation in which he in which Orson Welles might have played Vito Corleone uh, and it's just like, huh, that would have been there was, fascinating. There was a great Tumblr blog called, so great, I don't quite have, the thing is just Cinephilia, um, that has all these great, like recently they had like Ridley Scott's own um, script to Alien that has his notes on it and stuff. Uh, and they had Francis Ford Coppola's um, notes, casting notes for uh, uh, The Godfather and Marlon Brando was choice number one for Vito Corleone, but Lawrence Olivier was the second choice. Yeah. Like, how is, listen, he's one of the greatest actors of all time, but how do you... Well, I, I just love... Because you'll hear... You know, you watch like Hearts of Darkness and, you'll, and you hear like crazy-ass uh, Coppola just going insane talking about like Brando's demands. He's like, if I don't get him, I'll get Nicholson. It's like, Nicholson? Dude, there's... What? Uh, that, Look, he's crazy. Don't get me wrong. On, and he can sell crazy, but that's... Yes. That's ridiculous. On that blog, there's a quote from John Milius where Coppola says to Milius about the making of Apocalypse Now, like, if this movie kills me, you'll direct it. This is Coppola speaking to Milius. If this movie kills me, you'll direct it. If it kills you, we'll get Lucas. If that, what do you think about Ken Russell? Just <laughs> the fact that Coppola could think of the movie killing three directors and then still going. <laughs> but Have like, you ever seen that... Um, uh, like letter that Alec Guinness like wrote to his American friend about taking on the job of I've, Star Wars. I've, oh, I've yeah. read a lot of his stuff. Like people talk about it. The one, the, his the one that always Star cracks Wars. me up in that, and he's like, because uh, it's an American friend he's writing to. He's like, uh, he's and he's dismissive of Star Wars, of course, but he's uh, saying that uh, I'll be working with a couple of your countrymen. And he's like Mark Hamill, and and then he actually writes this like. Tennyson, that can't oh, be so right. Listen, I've seen that. Yeah, and then and then he writes the entire. Uh, Finishes the note, and then the last thing is Harrison. There we go. <laughs> By the way, Harrison Ford's script of Indiana Jones has made the rounds of yeah. his with his notes on it. Hmm. Um, let's get back to the topic, yeah. and then we should wrap up. But there's something I wanted to talk about. Um, I don't know if you, Ian, are aware of a couple of books that a guy wrote and edited. I can't remember his name, but they're called... Um, the first one is called Art in Time, and the second one is called Art Out of Time. And basically, he just compiles sort of brief, like... Um, like comic books, just like uh, yes, issues. I've seen those, yeah. And, and it, for a guy like me who is a movie and TV guy and had trouble understanding how to read comic books, yeah, these things were so helpful for uh, like understanding because it helped me get out of the mindset of reading it like a like storyboards or reading it yeah. like a movie. Um, but one of the things that I mean that that ter- that term art in time is that a thing of what comic books are about is it's like art that takes place fourth dimensionally because it's changing, you know, it's telling a story in time. And what that got me thinking about is that it's so it's funny to me that cinema is you know cine comes from you know uh, 
kineticism to move. It's yeah. called a motion yeah. picture. It's about movement, but oftentimes it's when the comic books come in and inform them that they that the movies move more. I mean, you talk about Orson Welles and stuff, but I also talk about. I mean, I was thinking about what got me thinking about it was you talking about Spider Man, and even even before Sam Raimi was doing Spider Man, he was sort of bringing this comic booky sense of movement to the Evil Dead movies and, and definitely Darkman, which, which I think is... A- David, great minds think alike. While you were in the restroom, uh, <laughs> this this is basically what uh, what I was talking about before we got off on uh, RoboCop star- starring Orson Welles. Well, then is- we led behind the curtain and I got up and <laughs> left and went to the restroom. It happens a lot, by the way, everybody. Not just not, not with David, but with both of us. Like, and I should say, guest. when yeah. you got up, I mentioned Orson Welles sitting in that in that chair <laughs> so and, you talk and about breaking that chair exact thing not that exact thing but just this idea of like there are comic book sensibilities that just that have been absorbed by film to the point where like something like a like a robocop which is not officially based on a comic book but it's everything about it is a comic book um and just except the fact that it's a movie and it is distinctly a movie with a comic book sensibility and but i so, guess what i'm talking about more about is the sense of of motion that it's. It just seems ironic that motion pictures learn motion because in so many cases. I think it's because early cameras couldn't move as much as yeah. uh, you know. You're you're completely free when you're drawing the comic book to move through space and and do whatever. And also, I think because comics, when they're done at their best, are still images that move in your mind. Yeah. It's like it. Mm-hmm. Your mind becomes the movie camera. That the film strip is yeah. is going through, and that is a sort of a purity that I wonder if, if motion pictures aren't trying to yeah. to capture. I remember right after I read the art out of time, those books, I read um, something that Tyler gave to me, the uh, first archive collection of The Spirit. Is that what, Was it The Spirit yes. that you gave me? Yeah. Well, um, and that stuff is amazing. Also amazingly racist, but <laughs> amazing. I wouldn't uh, say amazingly racist. The, it the, was, the, it was, the character of Ebony it, it was, uh, was like, you go, me. oh. When it is racist, it is amazing. Yeah, the character racist. of Ebony isn't there all the time, though. And they, they, But yeah, in these early ones, yeah, and they're like, occasionally like just a full page of his face, and it's like, this is... <laughs> his face, was, which is like 80% lips. Like, yeah, it's just it's, very... But when you get... It's when, it's when Eisner comes back from the war. One, Ebony isn't in, isn't in it as much. Uh, it is when it's like... you. It, it's funny. I remember getting the Smith, Smithsonian Book of Comic Book Comics, which is a weird name, but they also had a Smithsonian Book of Newspaper Comics, which is why it I has see. this name. Um, and reprinted these old Golden Age books. I had read the golden age superman and batman stuff and i'm like oh well this was uh very uh uh very primitive but that's when they're making uh is but that's when comics they had no idea what to do is what i thought and then when i was i was an older teen i was like 18 when i when i read the smithsonian book and reading the spirit um and those comics were from you know the the best ones are like from 46 47 48 and reading like oh and like oh this is as good as anything modern now yeah, in terms really of the, you know the story 10 minutes um is still uh where it's 10 minutes done in real time and the fact that okay. i've even said that when comics we can stop it <laughs> right. at any point i could ideally you know i could throw it across the room at five minutes if i wanted but it they make you read it and it, it is done in a comic book done in real time that is still yeah and it's interesting because from what i've read of the spirit and i think i read most of that, 
the uh, the thing that I had given you, David, I, I had read through uh, a good portion of it myself, and I thought it was actually very interesting and surprisingly racist. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's not forget that. Uh, actually, I was about to say something uh, kind of the opposite of do you that. Want, when you watch old movies, do you worry someone's going to say something racist? That's always something like. <laughs> I don't. That, I do so that. Like, I don't worry about it. But every once, in a while, especially in like old comedies, yeah, like, I always it'll like it'll pop up. Like there's a like I watched Duck Soup for the first time, yeah, a while ago, and then like when for, and it and I'm thinking like this is actually very funny. I'm enjoying this quite a bit, and then. Groucho Marx throws the word darkies out there. Which I eventually <laughs> looked up what he was referring to, and that's sort of like a satire in racism. It's like an old Good. song. Okay. So you go like, okay, yeah. There is a later, him, there's I a suppose. later Marx Brothers movies where they are sort of in blackface, though. And then like Harold Lloyd. The Day of the Races. Harold Lloyd made a, uh, a movie called... Or did he make it? He was, it was early in his career, so I think he was just in it. And the movie was called Haunted Spooks. <laughs> now, the spooks... Had to do with the ghosts, yeah. But there were like uppity, frightened, super, superstitious black people in it. Now, Harold There's Lloyd a double on tone. Uh, exact. Oh, so they're all into nuance. <laughs> I can imagine how, like, how happy they were. But when they the, thought of it. But <laughs> they had just this thing. They had just itself. finished punching a Chinaman, and they said, "Guys, I got the idea. We'll always be in power, right? <laughs> this should be fine." But it's. But the thing is, there's this weird like. There's this weird aspect to that film because uh, Harold Lloyd, I believe it was like one of the first, if not the first time, actual black people were cast in a movie. Harold Lloyd insisted on it. Oh, yeah. Um, And it was a very strange thing that like in the midst of this very of this undeniably racist uh, attitude that underneath it was like, well, at least let's just do this at least if we're going to do it, you know, and uh it's like or if he was if thinking like we'll really humiliate these people. I don't think so. No, based on from, who I knew because it's weird that when you like when you read like the history of Al Jolson, who's of course known for being in blackface, but then you read like oh he was very a uh, big supporter of getting actual black artists like on shows and getting mm-hmm. paid, and and there's there's sort of just like a weird thing where like I don't it's know like where, where 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 there's I don't know what to. It's where, like they're being supportive. There's multiple level, I don't but know, but also just accepting the stereotype. And not even recognizing that that might be considered. Uh, There's a, they're, they're they're thinking um, progressively on one hand, and then whatever's the regressive on, on the other hand. They're just not thinking on the other hand. Yes, or just, there's, just, there's like, just of the, yeah, just of the time. I think very much. But anyway, I don't recall what I was saying. Oh yeah, so the modern uh, uh, the the spirit. It actually reading back. It has a very modern sensibility, and I I I don't mean for that to sound like I'm insulting the golden age of comics or anything, but like. A lot of the aspects of no, the, the spirit seem like something from like an Alan Moore book of the, of the 80s or 90s. And Alan Moore is very influenced by. In I fact, could, yeah, yeah, I could see that. Meanwhile, uh, what I saw, uh, what I saw of the spirit movie, which was a good chunk of it, because I worked at the studio, the the company that was doing post production. I'm sorry, yeah, post production like DVD special features. Of, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so we got a lot of stuff, and we watched a good portion of the movie i'm just like i don't care for this at all it is not like the comic strip but I it think, is not i think i like i guess what i would say like why i love anything that has that has an aesthetic and then just goes for it like i mentioned in my email it's not a movie of half measures i'll say that that is it i don't want anything half measured mm-hmm. i'll go with something that's crazy that's, that's full. like i talked to you in my email i love the mike hodges uh flash gordon which oh. really, I think we should say the Dino De Laurentiis uh, 
Flash Gordon, if we're going to talk, uh, you know, authorial uh, ownership, um, I I I love that movie. I like I know you. how crazy is that the one that Max von Sydow. Yes. Okay. And and Peter Wingard playing a character named Clytus, who is basically Doctor or in look basically Doctor Doom, and okay. also has one of the greatest deaths of all time. So, uh, I want boy, you, you, neither of you have seen Flash Gordon. I've never seen it, guys. I saw it when I was a kid. I remember isn't the. It, isn't I, it I beautiful? Did not, I did not appreciate it as a kid. Uh, I just remember the uh, song that I did not. Get that is great. Oh, that song is. How does that song go? Just, Flash. Yeah. This, I'm not going to say I can't sing as good as Freddie, Freddie Mercury. Who can? <laughs> Maybe I didn't have a great deal of appreciation for oh, Freddie that Mercury. Song? That song was great. Yeah, yeah. Think about that song when you're putting your shoes on. <laughs> and you are you're you're going to put the hell of the, the you're going to really put those shoes on, and then and you're going to attack the day. You're going to put the hell on those shoes. Was what I was trying to say. So let me let me ask you this. Okay, so we've been talking mostly about superhero comics and that sort of thing. Yeah, I feel part. I feel bad about that. Because there's so much. Great. Now there's okay. The movie Road to Perdition. Which oh, I that's what I was going to talk was, about. Which was which based I feel on. Like, I, I feel like a piece of crap because I was too busy watching movies like Flash Gordon to watch <laughs> Road to Perdition. Um, I, I don't know if Road to Perdition is a great movie. I probably wouldn't like it as much as I used to if I watched. I it stand now. by a lot of it. But that was one I had heard the movie was coming out, and it was at that time that I was getting into Alan Moore and stuff, and I was <laughs> like, oh, this is. Um, man, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. But I keep thinking of other people's Max Allen Collins, I think. Yeah, that's it. Up. Max. Yes. And wrote the Dick Tracy strip for a long time. When the, oh, okay. They, and wrote the uh, novelization of oh. the... Hmm. Film well, novelization is a lost um, time, by the way. I used the, to uh, the, the... I don't know what you call it. The book of Road to Perdition. Yeah, the graphic novel. A graphic novel. Yeah. I mean, that was graphic novel like when that was... When that was like a new term, because that came out like the late Piranha Press, uh, early '90s, late '80s. Well, yeah. like to do a standalone graphic novel, it's still a sort of big deal. But that was definitely like a. And big it's deal. not like at least the one that I have is not like <laughs> I don't know. This is a dumb like way to say it, but not comic book size. It's like novel. size. It's not seven by eleven. Yeah, it's, no. it's sh- shorter. Probably. It's like the size of a yeah. paperback. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that felt. Uh, I think. I think. I, I still have it, and I, I think I need to re revisit it because I, I i think i wanted it to be more movie-ish mm-hmm. maybe um because it is it's way pulpier than road to perdition the movie a- ended up being and it's also a much much simpler story yeah and then i read the graphic novel of a history of violence and i and, and the movie was my favorite movie that year and i still love it and uh and they're just and it is interesting like something that is because you you read that graphic novel, I mean, it's inherently cinematic, and and it just and it really does feel like it was an influence, and it probably was by like you know those '80s vigilante one guy takes down the whole mob. I should say I'm wearing a Canon Films T-shirt mm-hmm. because I love I love what what Canon does, like 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 Death Wish. Yes, you're talking about that, which. Yeah, that's basically yes. That's basically the the death wish uh, yeah. type of thing, um, but it's not exactly that, but it's similar. And so, the graphic novel is clearly influenced by that, and then, and then it's interesting. And so, you, one could make just a straightforward adaptation. In fact, there's a there's some pulpy. Have you read the graphic novel of History of Violence? And I love John Wagner. Which, okay. by the way, Dread, the new Dread, that is what I'm talking about in in terms of great. I do want to see visionary comics. And unfortunately, like that, 
and Scott Pilgrim, like they come out with great vi- and Speed Racer, which is based on cartoon. But I'm like, this is what I want, and then no one shows up to it. I'm like, are we what, <laughs> folks? That's the future. That's what every movie should be. I, and I'm not one of the huge Speed Racer fans. Yeah. If every movie was like Speed Racer, I wouldn't mind. Uh, I think Scott Pilgrim's gonna uh, in a, hopefully in a perfect world, Scott Pilgrim will be like, you know, the thing they talk about the Velvet Underground and Nico album that like. The saying that everyone always says about that is that only oh, yeah. so many people bought it, but every one of I've those people I've heard that's a Brian out. Eno quote, but yeah. Okay, only so many people bought it, but every one of those people started a band. Yes. And I, I, I'm hoping that's what Scott Pilgrim is. Not everyone saw it, but I hope it inspires everyone. I could definitely that. see that, yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. It's Edgar Wright because does, the, people that, the people that like it just love it i mean and, and yeah. they're not even necessarily fans of the of the of the comic book but i think edgar wright with shawn of the dead and hot fuzz i see with people our age and maybe with people younger because i have a younger brother who works in film edgar wright is like people young people's first take into like like the power of a director and the power of of mm-hmm. a real auteur like that's the first movie they see where like oh directing you can really do stuff with it i think he still is i'm looking forward to the fact that he's doing an out and out comic book movie with ant-man because i want to see right. um when i say out i guess that'll have like a push behind it because it's marvel and everything um we did this whole podcast without talking about the avengers and, and <laughs> yeah i think uh, which i which i now. which I, is everything that's almost everything i wanted pop culture to be i remember seeing yeah that for the second time of like i would like every movie to be like this <laughs> well what do you think of oh and so to to go back to history of violence really quick uh just so the novel the novel's very pulpy and it would have made so much sense and it would have translated so well if they had just made that into if they had just made a movie of that yeah uh but they wanted to and it goes back to that del toro quote that you were talking about of just having the you know this the basic idea is still there the tone is still there but wanting to do something different with it which is yeah. what I which is what I got from uh, Road to Perdition like you know Tom Hanks character is out to make sure that his son does not ever kill and wind up like him and then I did not read the graphic novel but I lived with David when he did and he's like this kid kills everyone in the graphic <laughs> novel like yeah. they like they managed to comb something completely not there. Uh, into it and that and so it's just well, no, the I nature think that of it is adaptation. there in the graphic novel I think it's just that in the movie as 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 dour I guess as Sam Mendes movie is that's the ray of hope in the yeah movie. yeah there's a and hope the, the book doesn't have that yeah it's just more he loses straight up that. tragic he, yeah. he, he he damns his son yeah where in, in the book and the movie rather I guess we're spoiling or to perdition but his his son does get to escape with most of his innocence intact. Yeah, the 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 straight up condemnation wouldn't show up until Revolutionary Road. But um, <laughs> so let me ask, okay, so let me ask you this because you t- you talk about the Avengers. And then we should probably wrap up. That's fine. You talk about the Avengers being everything you wanted it to be. Now, no, not just that. I mean, I think everything you want other comic book movies in general to be. Yeah, even though you can necess- you can say like, oh, that's not all out and out crazy. Not that I want everything to be crazy, but maybe not out and out uh, uh, aesthetically uh, unique, but um, still, I think I think just maybe the most brilliant way to tell a large, expansive comic book story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, when you're talking about this, do you mean? Are you incorporating the other Marvel films, the other Avengers films? I think films it's superior well? to, to, and I like a lot of those Marvel movies. Um, I think it's certainly superior to all the previous ones. I agree. 
Um, I agree as far as the two previous ones that I've seen, Iron Man and Thor. Did you? I, still I guess at your commitment. I, I guess that, because I want to ask you because I know you. I forgot her name. I feel horrible. You had a previous guest on who talked about the Avengers, and she said she was worried the fact that we have a movie out that's part of this shared Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that there's a movie out where you have to know all these other movies before seeing it. Um, and that was the first that. time. That was probably Amy on her. Yes, it was. Oh, we did talk with yeah. Amy Nicholson. Yeah, we yeah. Uh, and, her and, first time on. And it was it was amazing for because I mean that's a definitely an argument in comics where it's like are are these things too continuity based are these things are they new reader friendly or not and and it's the first time I heard someone make that argument about films and she didn't make that argument that Avengers was like that but that kind of like being a canary in the coal mine uh, of like are we going to be in a place where like a big movie comes out and um, you know it's like hey you've had to see those five movies which. Well, See, I certainly I said, know the studio will uh, yeah, there's, that, there's, that attitude. I, I said we needed to wrap up, but you have opened a can of worms here for I me. Know. So I don't, I don't I want to go into it. I'll try and go into it briefly. But I think it's great that like um, people are into serialized television now. Really, yeah. really big. That's a big thing for, uh, I guess, the television watching cognoscenti. But I think... People need to go back to being okay with missing an installment of something. I'm I'm all for that. There's it's a certain... not it's not the end of the world if you don't know you'll 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 get the important if it's good yeah. you'll get the important parts. You can jump in and watch an episode of Fringe in season four, and if it's a good episode, yeah, you'll, it's you'll always be fine. it's always amazed me as comics readers get older they. F- they are more hesitant to jump into new things mid a new series into its into its run whereas you don't worry about it as a kid as a kid you pick up batman 627 and you're just like i'm into it whereas an adult ironically you've read more comics <laughs> you are more familiar with the with these these characters you're more familiar with the universe shouldn't you just be like yeah i can run into it but then you know things are being constantly relaunched with new number one issues just to tell people i guess you can you can jump into it now whereas like yeah i I want it's a shame well and i think you know it's interesting because uh you bringing this up has is uh i won't go into my deal with it but especially with tv and it sounds like with comic books and i think also with movies like i think we're sort of tilting at windmills now because now that like with Netflix and Hulu and that sort of thing where you can get every episode of a TV show, like people have no reason to start in the middle, in the middle of it. You know, they'll, it's just like, Oh, or like maybe for example, I've the first episode of community, I did watch the pilot and I didn't care for it. And so I stopped watching it. And then I happened to see it on a, you know, at the end of season two, I watched an episode uh, on a plane and I, and I was like, Oh, that's pretty, you know what? That's not bad. It became a much different show. Yeah. And so sure enough, I went back and started it again. And I think any instance where somebody, somebody might tune in and watch for, and watch an episode of fringe and, you know, season four, but then instinctively, because for a number of reasons, one availability and two, there's pressure to talk about everything, uh, online. Just, it's like, Oh, you didn't see that. Like, well then why are why are we even talking about this now? Like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, there's this pressure to be a certain type of informed when talking about things. 
Maybe only I think only in our circles. I think this probably goes back yeah. to the last. Oh, week I think there's probably a lot of people who just like watch Fringe casually. You just yeah. never hear of because they're not. Oh no question. And the thing is, the it's why it's why no, uh, getting to know Jim Bruce from the Paul Goebel show has been such a. Treat. I love hearing him like <laughs> um, talk about like watching one episode of Lost a year. Yeah, um, but showrunners who. Uh, uh, okay, we're not into television here, but showrunners who uh, love television and know what they're doing, like a Vince Gilligan or a Matthew Weiner, um, as great as shows like The Wire and Game of Thrones are in their own right, though, I, I think Matthew Weiner and Vince Gilligan are better at TV than the, than David Simon or David Benioff uh, uh, are. Both because, of whom started in other, in other media. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I think as much as it... People like us who watch full seasons of Mad Men and watch watch uh, stories unfold, and of course this goes back to The Sopranos too. Uh, in fact, I'll stick with The Sopranos as the example. People think so much of The Sopranos as this heavily serialized no not show, all. but if you just tune into any any episode, has a story either a literal plot narrative or just an emotional arc it has things that begin and resolve yeah. within each episode well then you fulfill, will get it yeah they 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 they, they, they they feed into the larger world of the show. But, and you will get a strong sense of who the characters are and mm-hmm. what their relationships are in each episode. And I think that holds true for Mad Men. I think it holds true for Breaking Bad. I think it holds true for Fringe. Uh, I, I think, uh, and of course, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, my perfect, my favorite show uh, of all time. Uh, and, and, and so uh, to tie this back into movies, if um, and back into, you know, it's a good uh, segue there with Joss Whedon, you know, he... I don't feel like I needed to see Captain America or Iron Man 2 or The Incredible Hulk because uh, he, um, he 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 struck that balance of feeding into the larger world. And I'm, and I'm sure for the people who did see those, it was very rewarding. But he didn't make it a prerequisite. I highly recommend – I was lucky enough to see this interview happen in person. But Jeff Goldsmith has a podcast called The Q&A where he talks to mm-hmm. filmmakers and screenwriters about – and talked to Joss Whedon about that. And it was very much – I mean, Joss Whedon – has movie experience, TV experience, and comics experience. In fact, my favorite Joss Whedon work is a comic called Sugar Shock, um, uh, which is just like a one-shot he did for Dark Horse, but it still remains my personal favorite work of his. Maybe Dr. Horrible, but um, and Firefly. Uh, you know, look at all that stuff I enjoy. <laughs> and yet, never really that huge into Buffy or Angel, but everything else I love. Oh, man. Um, you're, you're crazy. It's Buffy I, and Angel. I, I try every time, but there's because it, it, it maybe it feels like there's a lot more I have to get into. Um, just to go through because I've seen like the first like three seasons of Buffy and I'm like I guess if you been, if you finish season three of Buffy and you're not into it maybe it's not for you because not, season three not not into it but not chomping at the bit to watch more yeah season three is kind of it's almost everyone's favorite season yeah it's it's good stuff but I'm I'm always I'm always happy to jump off of things that's a that's that's, that's neither here nor there although if we're wrapping up the episode maybe that is totally here although this real quick. Uh, season three is great. I think I actually maybe like season four more because um, even though a lot of people will point to the, uh, I'm getting really insider here, but the initiative and the Adam storyline as being one of the lamer arcs of the uh, season long arcs of the Buffy run. Season four has so many standalone episodes that are amazing, such as uh, Hush and, 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 and Restless and Fear Itself and uh, a lot of the ones that I point to as my favorite episodes. All right. See, that's when, because I started on Netflix, I knew with season four I could start watching Buffy and Angel at the same time, which was like, <laughs> I'm ready to do it. And that became, that felt like too much. That had two hours of this stuff. And 
those two hours weren't totally working for me, taken as a whole. Each yeah. time I'd watch a Buffy and Angel. I know. There was a great... Um, people tell me, like, Angel really gets crazy, yeah. really gets good. Yeah, well, yeah. The other side of the coin, if, you, if you're if you into serialized stuff, seasons three and four of Angel are essentially one major, just mega arc uh, that's uh, really crazy it's stuff. It's weird. I talked about, talk about the beginning of the show, like, I'm happy to climb the mountain that is yeah. Marvel continuity. But then once it's like this, I'm like, I could I could be reading an X Men comic while I'm. Let's wrap up the show because we've done okay. to Tyler what was done to me earlier when he's completely checked out. Oh. No, it's, now the table it's has not, been it's turned. Not that I've checked out. It's just I don't give a shit. But the <laughs> um, no, I was trying to think because just like I was ramping up to something earlier with the Avengers and I didn't remember what it was. What are they talking about? Oh, geez. Okay, I'll I'll go back to thinking. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I got it now. So um, so one thing that I that I that I do ask people that are comic book fans for the same in, in the same way that there are people that are fans of musicals and I'll ask them about Chicago I love that you brought up musicals because I I one I am a fan of musicals but I I love that that is a genre that embraces its theatricality and that's I guess kind of what I keep talking about when we talk about visionary stuff like okay an embrace of theatricality not denying it but one thing that David and I I don't know would you say that it's a? It, I think you and I are together on this. That one thing that bothers us about Chicago. Oh yeah, it's is the, that it's the reason I don't like Chicago. Yeah, that it kind of like, it's a musical that isn't a musical. Like it's trying to have its cake and eat it too. It's trying mm-hmm. to, uh, it's trying to have all the fun of a musical without actually being one by having the actual musical sequences seem like fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's like so, real, real life, real life, real life, and then it's you feel like they're apologizing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And by the way, the re- and by the way, the real life that they are putting out there is stylized enough that they could have gone into actual musical numbers and it would have been fine. Anyway, uh, but given given what you've talked about, what do you think of the uh, Christopher Nolan series? Because they do seem to sort of apologize for the general tone an atmosphere of comic books and comic book movies, whereas I think Joss Whedon and, and the Avengers embraces it. And I think, I'm sorry, you're asking Ian the question, but I okay. think the apology for the for the cartoonishness, I guess, makes the instances where they have to have something cartoonish stick out more and feel more out of place sometimes. Yeah. I like these Christopher Nolan movies. Yeah, I would well say enough. I love those. I love The Dark Knight, and mm-hmm. I like Batman Begins, Dark Knight Rises a lot. It's been often... The, th- those movies' flaws have been noted. I don't disagree with them. I, but I, ultimately put them in the positive column. And I love Dark Knight, but you know, I think it was a brilliant move to say there's going to be no superpowers in this in this in the Nolan verse. That you know, it's going to be very grounded. Um, but I would hope that that is not the flavor that everyone goes after. And when talking to you guys about this, I did email you the link, John August, the screenwriter, screenwriter, big fish and a lot of Tim Burton films um, and host of the really great script notes podcast. Um, He wrote a blog post about writing the Shazam movie Mm -hmm. uh, about, and that is a big bright character, uh, a big all ages character that uh, people have had trouble bringing to the modern world because of that. And when he was writing that script, the Dark Knight was huge for Warner Brothers. Speed Racer was the opposite mm-hmm. in terms of uh, how it did in the box office. And because of that, John August was told like to make a darker uh, Shazam movie, and then then there was no Shazam movie. Um, <laughs> and and that is that is what that is what like I worry. I guess because I'm worried just about 
um, dumb screenwriter, dumb. I worry about dumb screenwriters, but I'm worried about dumb like studio executives coming in and and and, um, and just being like this, you know, and getting things right only in a superficial way and getting things wrong ultimately. Um, that almost made sense. One of my uh, favorite quotes um, from Brad Bird is. Talk, talking about the mentality of studio executives yeah yes i know this quote it's great he's saying that if there were five movies in a single year that were success super successful yeah and in each one of them the hero wore a red shirt they'd be saying we need more movies with guys in red shirts that is what i was trying to say but made sense as opposed to what i was trying uh um yeah i worry that work that works well with batman because you at your core you have a character with no superpowers uh, although I would consider being super rich a, a superpower, the way the way his wealth is is portrayed, it, it might as well. It allows him to do it. He can yeah. will things into existence. That's his, through money. That's his superpower. Uh, and the fact that no one's looked into the books of Wayne Industries and be like, where's there's a lot of money going to someplace we do not know. I've yeah. always wanted to tell that story of like if someone going after Wayne Industries, like it was Enron, and being like, there's a lot of money going off the books here. What could that be? Um, someone's probably there's a million Batman stories. Someone's done that before, probably. But um, yeah, the, the uh, that is in a way I think very visionary. It, they they took a deliberate choice um, in in how they're going to betray the superhero world, and I really appreciate that ultimately, uh, especially because it gave us such a wonderful movie in The Dark Knight. But mm-hmm. it would be foolish uh, to because those films are such a success to do that with. Um, not only every character, I would say it'd be a foolish way to do with most comic book properties what they did. Except so, for the Punisher. Uh, the, you know, honestly, that's another thing about comic book movies where it, it, it feels like it, some some properties are just going to die if there's too many bad. Like, I'm Punisher, and maybe you can say like Ghostwriter, like, we'll never get. And there probably won't be any more Hulk movies. Like he'll, sh- uh, I think he'll people show up love the and and rightfully so the way what Mark Ruffalo and, and Joss Whedon did. I know, but hopefully, and don't get me wrong, I I like the Ang Lee Hulk. I I I wasn't the Louis Letier. Yeah, I wasn't upset Norman. with that one. I thought that one was pretty good. It's weird, but the, Ang- the best representation was in the Avengers. Yes. And I think I think what friend of the show Will Anderson said is like Hulk is best when he is part of an ensemble you can make that yeah it's weird they, they want to do like the planned Hulk movie and I love that idea but that is a crazy storyline where he's on another he, he's Hulk all the time he's yeah. on another planet I there's all think, these aliens I love that story yeah, and, no, and no one would accept it that's like, what I, I saw, worry about I watched yeah. the animated uh, the little animated thing which is okay that's but, like okay. no one's gonna accept it like that, that's what I worry about when they do like Guardians of the Galaxy which point. I'm very much looking forward to it I love the. I think Garden Gal- Galaxy is great. What Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning did with that. Are people going to accept Rocket Raccoon, who a character I love? But are people going to see a a bomb throwing raccoon? And are they going to go? Who? Yeah, he talks. Uh, it is very funny. But are people going to accept it? I hope they do. I think because and that's and that's why I actually brought up like the Dark Knight thing is like th- that series is so beloved. And people are like, oh, it's like the comic book. It's it's the comic book movie that I can finally get behind because it's like a re- it's like a real thing. It's dark and all that. And now people have been sort of and thankfully Avengers has been a, always a little bit heightened and a little lighter. Yeah. So there is that. But I think I think people are now being trained to really emphasize what is real. And I guarantee you, I don't like guaranteeing things. 
It is very likely. We I'll should say, say you are now the head of the mattress. <laughs> it is. It is very likely that like when that happens and people see a, a wisecracking bomb throwing raccoon, people will start saying stuff like Jar Jar Binks. They'll say like, I hope not. He's a way better. Well, that's that's all well and good, but people are like, what the what the fuck is that? Like people will get. I I I feel I, like they what will I get about. angry. They will they will react to it like like Speed Racer. Or Scott Pilgrim, I, I feel. I feel there's a whole bunch of young men who probably saw it like this is. Yeah, the only comic book movie that is acceptable is The Dark Knight and The Avengers, and just like something that emphasizes, I think, believability and likelihood. Even though Thor is in the, you know, Thor is like a and, god in the yeah. midst of this, and, and they it, still manage you know to like um, Sam Raimi's first two Spider-Man movies are not. Not realistic. They're they they have a, a rather heightened tone. And then, but between, but Spider-Man I I remember two, when, especially when Spider-Man three, which had a lot of problems, came out. I remember guys. I was in college at the time. Be like, these movies feel like they're old or something. Probably thinking like, you know, they were like, uh, 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 what's his name who did the Dorsey films, and then Far From Heaven was a tri- tribute to him. Oh, oh, yeah, uh, Douglas Sirk. Douglas Sirk. Yeah. I think Douglas Sirk was a big influence of Sam Raimi of those films, and then yeah. all those films made millions of dollars. And that's the thing is, movies. like, and if you look at the tone of the new Spider-Man movie, which I don't like, um, I like they're trying. It's all right. It's all right. I don't. Greatest ha- take don't on Peter it. Parker, worst uh, version of a villain. I, t- I, I agree with that. I would because I, I, I think yeah, I think that first that first act uh, yeah. uh, is is really really. If well you done. there's an edit. There isn't an edit, but you can make an edit of all the Peter Parker stuff, all the the uh, social network. What's his name? And uh-huh. uh, and Emma Stone, Gwen Stacy. She looks like John Romita senior senior drew her. It is it is like it is like this is like a drawing come to life. Uh, that is well done. If you cut that with the Alfred Molina Doctor Octopus stuff, <laughs> you would have the perfect Spider-Man movie. If you could fuse those, you Frankenstein those two together, <laughs> that would be the perfect Spider-Man movie. Yeah, and so, but that's the thing. So, like, in between Spider-Man Two and Spider-Man Three was the Dark Knight. Uh, I'm sorry, was uh, Batman, Begins. Batman Begins. And that, and suddenly, like, there's this whole other way to see superhero movies, or, or uh, pardon me, comic book movies. And then Spider-Man Three. Admittedly, it was also just not good. But uh, like, well, I mean, like people it, said, like it, this feels this feels like a bygone era now. And so then they when they make the new Spider-Man movie, like they it felt like it like they wanted it to be darker because that's the only thing that people will accept now. We should say Batman Begins wasn't the first movie of its kind. It was just the first movie of its kind to be a success. Because and it was so different than Batman and Robin that I think people right. would embrace anything. But I mean, uh, Daredevil. I guess ostensibly was a darker or more re- realistic take. Ostensibly, yes. ostensibly, uh, <laughs> it was just really, really bad. I think that had big tonal problems because maybe that maybe that's what they're trying to go for in the Daredevil scenes. But whatever Colin Farrell and Bullseye was doing was definitely. <laughs> and, yeah. But I think that's the part of the movie that works the best. I would never agree. Actually. Oh yeah. Um, okay, let's finally wrap up by talking okay. about how are we? We've talked about Zack Snyder. How are we feeling about the new Superman movie? You gotta get over this fucking man thing. It's just, there's a lot more superheroes coming with the last name man. With the last name, their name ends in man, and they're not all working in the garment industry. I can say that because I'm half because uh, I'm half Jewish. I can. It's, it's, it's this. You, you you gotta let that go, or maybe go I'm, for it. Yeah, I think I'm gonna. 
I think I'm all it is it is point. it is a genre and an industry uh, definitely with major Jewish roots. So yeah, I, I actually like that. I read that uh, Michael Chabon book. That was pretty. Cool. That is a great Cavalier. I hope they make a movie about that. Have you seen that? Uh, no. Or read that? The Adventures oh, the Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. Oh, read that and then read uh, Men of Tomorrow by Gerard Jones, oh. which is the real v- world version of Cavalier and Clay. I think, uh, like, I read Cavalier and Clay and liked it, and I didn't think about it for a long time. And then after I saw the social network, I was like, yes. I want Aaron Sorkin and yes. David Fincher to do Cavalier oh, and Clay. Oh, yes. I want awesome. Aaron Sorkin and not David Fincher to do Cavalier <laughs> and Clay. <laughs> All right. Um, um, I want Sidney LeMay to come back from the dead and make Cavalier and Clay. How about um, okay, Super Superman? Are we looking forward to it? I like that trailer. I do. Is it weird that I hold out hope for Zack Snyder because I loved um, Dawn of the Dead? I think at this is that point, dumb? you know, you know what? By the way, James Gunn, who wrote Dawn of the Dead, is directing Guardians of the Galaxy. And I, when I yeah. heard that, I'm like, yeah, baby. By I think way, he's. I think he's having seen super which i loved and i like i Slitter. thank you for liking super yeah oh it's, i it, thought that was great i'm a big fan and i went and so, with it a, a friend of mine whom i love she did not like it and it's but i think and i he, love that she didn't like it but i, I think him it. making a superhero movie is a great call like yes if you get if you just get the right people in there with he, I think that, yeah, yeah yeah like i think you'll you'll strike the right tone have the right uh the right spirit of like awe and, and with Chris Pratt kind of doing Star-Lord, because Guardians of the Galaxy is a quippy book. Mm-hmm. DNA, uh, Abnett and Lanning, were, were, they quipped, even though it's got very dark kind of characters like Drax the Destroyer and Adam Warlock. I guess Adam Warlock is in the movie. Um, the, it, it, the, they, they were quipping like, like crazy. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm like, yeah. People will take maybe a rocket raccoon. I, I, it is weird to. He's a raccoon <laughs> I hope with a big gun. Look, I which hope, I love. I hope you're right, but I feel like people who have a certain idea of what a comic book movie should be, I think that might wind up being too much for them. It might be too much for me, by the way. Didn't we just go? I, I want to ask. Yeah, I want to know okay. your opinion. Well, first, I want to say I want to respond to what you said, Ian, which is that. As much as I rip on Zack Snyder, I kind of hold out hope too. It's it's kind of like a Michael Bay situation you, where I don't like his yes. movies, but I don't think he's a hack. No, oh, yeah, he, no. He, like this guy and his team, the way he works with his team, that is that is great work, great technical mm-hmm. work, and I want that great technical work to be with a great it's take so on the, story and a great way to I, work with actors. I'll, I'll repeat myself here in terms of my feelings about Zack Snyder. Before Sucker Punch came out, when I saw trailers for it, I was like. There's a 90% chance this is going to be the stupidest movie of all time, and a 10% chance it's going to be a masterpiece. And you know what? I think it's actually both. I'm pretty sure it's both things. Yeah, it really and, is. This is a cheesy way of phrasing it, but maybe an appropriate one. Like, the uh, like, I want him to someday use his powers for good. Like, it just because it's all there. Everything that that he could be as a filmmaker and a good one is there if he just were to tweak it a little bit and maybe not be so like one of the things that that I feel like the the man of, that uh, man of steel is going to have I think it's going to be a lot like superman returns where it's going to be so damn self serious oh, no, that like th- there's just like ah oh, this is this is exhausting to me like that that I worry that about initial... things getting too serious yeah especially superman but I don't I don't worry about that with man of steel maybe cuz there's other big crazy stuff because they have General Zod and stuff coming. Maybe and and having Michael Shannon as your villain is there. We come on, it's pretty solid. I like that. Um, but again, it's just it's. 
I think Zack Snyder can, like, you know, I didn't see Sucker Punch, but it seems like he's certainly having a lot of fun, and, and he's clearly having fun with uh, uh, Dawn of the Dead. I don't but know. Like, I think he thinks he's saying something with Sucker Punch. I'm, I'm sure he's. Oh, oh no, yeah, he had a whole thing about it. <laughs> this is a big feminist statement, which, which I never. I, I listened to the How Did This Get Made episode. I was like, <laughs> oh, that'll that'll be. Uh, but if you but if you listen to that episode, even like Chelsea Freddy ends up kind of liking that movie, in a way. Have you, wait, have you seen? You haven't seen it? No, I saw. I'm like, is this? I. I uh, if I mean I wouldn't recommend it you know like for a fun movie night but if you're a person who's interested in cinema I think you should see what about, Sucker Punch. Well, and the, the idea Gar- of like the Legends of the Guardians, the Alza Gahul again. You should also watch. That <laughs> I forgot because about it is that nuts. One. It is so nuts. Sucker Punch does seem like a strangely personal statement. It's it's like Vertigo. It that's his only like, like original movie. Uh, mm. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. And so right. that's the thing is so I feel like. Having watched 300 and Watchmen, I just I just get the feeling that like he will treat everything incredibly seriously, and it will not be nearly as fun as it should be. I worry about people just thinking like serious is right, and if you're having fun, right? Not being, I'm like that's just a weird like pressure we put on like adulthood. Yeah, go back go back <laughs> yeah. and watch the Richard Donner Superman. It's great. But the thing is, that is when superhero films were taken more seriously, and they definitely did take it more seriously. But if you watch it, there's like a Rex Reed cameo. Yeah, it's a really goofy movie. But well, I love and, it. and and they don't Hackman, they don't just they don't just put it all on Lex yeah, Luthor. Hackman makes it, but I think Hackman is the reason why. He's great, Ned Beatty, Otisville. Mm-hmm. He's great, um, but Christopher Reeve like has brings a nice wit and charm and is not just brooding all the time. Yeah, and that's Chris, my yeah. concern. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that guy. By the way, the craziest billing ever, if you watch that movie, because it's Marlon Brando, of course, Gene Hackman, Superman. Then Christopher Reeve. Like, come on, he's playing the guy. I know it's his first movie, but all right. You can find us at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at David at battleshipretention.com or Tyler at battleshipretention.com. I'm on Twitter at the Pretension. Tyler's on Twitter at More Lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which is at more than one more than one lesson dot com. My other podcast, maybe if I could keep doing it, I don't know, is previously on. That's a previously on show dot com. Ian, where can people find you when you work on the internet? Uh, follow me on Twitter, iBrill. iBrill. Uh, also, uh, my Tumblr, which is Brill Building. Brill Building. And also oh. go uh, buy Dracula World Order Comicsology. There's also just DraculaWorldOrder.com. Please buy that book. Please do. I'm very proud of it, mm-hmm. and it is my favorite thing I've done so far. Ian, thank you for being here. Thank you guys so much. I really enjoyed most of this. <laughs> you at home, thank you for listening. No, I enjoyed it all. Yes. Well, guess who's going to lose some sleep tonight? We'll get you next <laughs> no, time. No, I loved it. Bye. 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 This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.